The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests. And I know we represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. Welcome on board flight 133 of the Squawk Ident podcast recorded on the 2nd of May, 2023. From the mobile Aviator Sound Studios high atop the 8th floor of the Sanesta Hotel in beautiful downtown Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, right across from the convention center. And yeah, nothing's going on. Just raining. On today's flight, I'm excited to be joined by a gaggle of excellent Squawk Ident co-hosts. Together, we will discuss the start of the summer travel season, adverse weather, diversions, diversion choices, and bingo fuel. We will also discuss training processes interrupted, getting only half of it done, insecticides, pilot family moves for the job, the cost of big city living versus smaller communities, the flying that gets done when your edict times get completely jacked up, and when three-day trips turn into two flight legs. We're also going to explore the American Airlines recent picketing event that happened, where 96% of their pilots voted, and 99% of those voted, voted to strike. Why can't airline pilots in the U.S. choose to just strike and walk off the job and picket? We're going to talk about that. Also, PSA has had a very big hiring campaign that has been all over social media, where they're boasting $500,000 in potential earnings over the first three years. How can they continue to do that? Regional jets still grounded due to the pilot supply shortage. Well, they could get more airplanes up in the air and more seat miles filled if they just had more pilots. We're going to talk about all this and more on this, the 133rd episode of the Squawk Ident Podcast. But before we do, I want to take this opportunity and thank Captain Jeff from the Airline Pilot Guy podcast for joining us on Flight 132, The Syndrome Effect. We truly enjoyed learning about Captain Jeff's journey, how he got into podcasting, and how the syndrome has become so popular. Thanks again, Captain Jeff. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Well, joining us today is another exceptional aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He's a professional CFI, double INMEA flight instructor, former Embraer 145 airline pilot, carrier instructor, a Dassault Falcon 900EZ 2000 pilot, and a G650 commander. He's a captain and director of flight operations and corporate operator as well. Recovering from getting only half of his recurrent training done from his home podcast studio from somewhere in San Diego, California, please help us in welcoming to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Tony. I'm feeling um, I'm feeling pretty special today. Um, we've we've got quite the group here today, and I was the first one to get an intro. So um, under those under those conditions, I have to say that I'm feeling pretty proud of myself. Um, well, you know, our, I, thank you for putting me first. Our union uh, bylaws here at Squawk Ident does indicate that I'm supposed to introduce you guys in seniority order. So. Is there a mandated order? Yeah, it's it's in page uh, 13, section 7 of the uh, Squawk Ident Union bylaws. It's I there. stopped reading it the first sentence. I'm yeah. not going to lie. You know, it, that's very common amongst new hires. Uh, okay. You know, although you're not a new hire. so Wait, Hold really no on. Excuse. So I'm the most senior new hire. 
Well, I just like I said, it's it's common amongst new hires, but you're not a new hire, so there's really no excuse for not you not to know the bylaws in the union contract. Um, I'll I'll go ahead and uh, PDF uh, send that out to you. Show me the money, and I'll read and I'll read the bylaws. Oh well, th- there's no money involved. <laughs> okay, well that I said it kind of explains that takes, that takes care of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm doing well. Um, you know things are um always fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, like you kind of mentioned, I did half of a recurrent because of staffing issues and, uh, yeah. you know, we'll kind of get into that. It's not a very long story, but, um, you know, it's kind of affects every, every corner of the industry. Mine, mine is no different. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward was, to hearing about that. That's, uh, you know, when you go to training and all of a sudden your, your sim partner or your training partner decides i don't feel too good i got a tummy ache i'm out of here um sometimes legitimately and sometimes they look over at the check airman and the fa goes hi i'm f i'm the faa uh rep that's here to help today and observe only observe don't worry there's no stress i'm here to help and you're like i don't feel good i gotta go um yeah it's you know there's that aspect of it and then there's also the residual fallout from it because now all of a sudden okay well now you know i thought i had people that are you know crew that were available that are no no longer available because we got to reschedule them in and that kind of falls directly under my purview of the pen and paper scheduling yeah which you know it's just you know there's the fallout from it so yeah well we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more here coming up and i you know glad you made it today very happy i just want to before we move on i want to just put a real quick stipulation out here um i do not want anyone egging my house for anything that I say during this conversation, whether you are at a legacy airline management or a pilot at a legacy airline. And I don't want anybody coming by and egging my house. What, what, all right. Wait, where does it come I'm from? Just what happened that out there? That's all I want to say. All right, so you're ready to battle. You're ready to fight. Okay. Bring I it am on. I'm not ready to fight. You, <laughs> y'all are ready to fight. And y'all Roger, are we, crazy. We can't afford eggs anymore, man. It's gone up in uh, price. They're too so expensive, we, man. Out, yeah, Not even toilet paper. That's now. like gold, man. Supply chain yeah. issues. Yeah. Oh, oh. But wait, I wait, wait. No, I'm good. I don't need to come egg Roger's house. I, 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 I'm getting paid decently. I just so. am putting it out that I don't want <laughs> anything good. that I say on this idiotic topic <laughs> that y'all want to cover. I don't want anyone coming to egg my house. Coming from the uh, multimillionaire. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Well, also joining us today is an outstanding aviator and Squawk in co-host. He's a U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Systems Technician, a certified flight instructor and Embraer 175 pilot for Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of the Legacy Airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from Rapid City, South Dakota, where the Black Hills don't look so black from his mobile studio. Please help me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Alex D. Alex, how you doing? Good. Uh, I just want to point out that if Roger got the contract, I still have yet to receive mine. So I don't know these bylaws that you guys are speaking You're of. You're still on probation, bro. <laughs> oh, got it. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, let me let me know when I get off probation so that I can, you know, officially, you know, start reading these bylaws because I'm still confused on a lot of things, man. Yeah, it's all, it, you know, you should have gotten the roommate agreement a long time ago, but I'll send you the... Uh the squawk, squawk ident uh, union rules here as soon as they're finished <laughs> i'm still working on it yeah please yeah if you're still in negotiations uh, we've got more issues and uh, i might just jump ship and go over to apg well oh you think so huh okay all right all right captain jeff you can have them 
You can have well, them. <laughs> you know, when you blindside us and say, hey, Alex, you wanted to interview and be on Captain Jeff's shows for so long, and then I'm just going to keep it a surprise from you. You know, he knows. I told him all about how you're going to be mad. But hey, you're the one that was flying and chose to fly over being on a podcast, well, you know? Yeah, because I can control that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, on, I almost halfway, <laughs> when I was in Chicago, I almost halfway was like, you know what? I'll go find a quiet spot and just pop in for five minutes and say hi. And then you would have called well, out fatigued didn't. on your flight. And you see, that's why I didn't tell you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I'm really happy you're here. You've been you've been really doing a great job flying the line and staying out of trouble. Really, you, you've had really no major issues. You were telling me uh, with flying the line, but it's all the stuff about moving, and we're going to hear about what's involved. Why Why are you moving? We're going to hear about that. Um, why would you uproot your family for a career that is going to probably change your your domicile a few times over? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm looking forward to hearing your take on it. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, to explaining why I'm deciding to uproot from California. Well, I get it. I get it. Well, <laughs> also joining us today. In California, I might be able to help explain that. Yes. Well, also joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident podcast co-host. He's a retired U.S. Army colonel and a former Black Hawk battalion commander. He's, his journey has led him to operate Apaches, Black Hawks, C-12s, and UC-35s. He's a ma- he has a master's degree in management and strategic studies. He is a former Embraer 145 pilot and currently a Boeing 737 pilot for Transglobal. The name we use here on the show is an alias to his employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Joining us from his layover hotel where he is recovering from edict hell from his mobile sound studios on the 11th floor of the Westin Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Please help us in welcoming our very own Terry S. Terry, how are you recovering, man? How you doing? I'm tired. I'm drinking coffee. Hotel coffee at that. Oh, you know. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I haven't had a cup of coffee this morning. How am I even breathing right now? How are you functioning? I don't I have no idea. So, so you edict, huh? I know that we were questioning whether you were going to be able to make it today, and I, I didn't want you to like cut into your rest time. Did you get enough rest last no, night? No, no, it, it wasn't too bad. But uh, yeah, we were. Uh, this is uh, today is now day four of a four day. Um, we were coming out of Newark last night to Vegas and right off the bat, you know, as soon as I got to the airport, uh, the captain texted me and said, Hey, we got a three hour edict. And, uh, so, you know, I had already left the hotel, so I'm just hanging out in the airport. Yeah. And then, uh, an hour into it, they said, Hey, edicts lifted. You can, you guys can go. And then it was just scramble to, uh, to get everything done and uh, get off the ground. So yeah. thankfully we only had like 50 passengers, which oh, quick boarding. really surprised, but yeah. we had a 50 passengers on a max nine, which, you know, yeah. airplane was pretty light. And anyway, we got in uh, to Vegas about, I don't know, it was about 1130 Vegas time. So like, you know, getting to the hotel and all that, by the time that's all said and done, it's like, Yep. You know, one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to explore your experience with the edict and, and getting into the hotel that late and that tired and, and kind of what that means for, you know, your average airline pilot and what they can expect out there on the line. Uh, but I am just so excited 
to have a recurring co-host come on the show. He he comes on when he can. It's been a long time. I don't even know the last time he was on here. I have to look in my notes. It's been a while. He's joining us today. He is another exceptional Squawk Ident podcast co-host and exceptional aviator. He is an OSU Pistol Pete Lovin grad, an ASL linguist, a creator and director of the Aviation Business Information Board on Facebook, which we highly recommend. A lot of our sources come from his Facebook page. He's a cadet pilot mentor, a new dad, and a DFW Airbus pilot at Legacy Airlines. And Legacy Airlines is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. From his podcast studio, where he's taking a break from all of the honeydew list that he has. And he showed me, ladies and gentlemen, it's like a Chinese scroll. It's about three feet long. And the list is, I'm like, how do you, he's just like, well, one one thing at a time, he says, one thing at a time. <laughs> Joining us today from somewhere in Roanoke, Texas, please help us in welcoming to the show our very own Kyle J. Kyle, what's going on, man? How you doing? Man, life's been busy, Tony. Just uh, family, work, and uh, that honeydew list. It never ends. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank God you have a honeydew list, right? <clears throat> Yes, yes, it could be uh, could be worse, right? Um, no, more more or less. Uh, we've had a lot of projects with this new house that we've uh, we moved into. Been here less than two years now, and um, just uh, a lot of upgrades, a lot of uh, things that had to be refixed, and and so on. So just yeah. been one thing after the other, and uh, trying to get as much time in uh, with my little one, Olivia. She uh, turned two March eighth, so. <sighs> Um, just time's literally flying by and, uh, trying to spend as much time with her. Cause I know in uh, 10 years, she's probably going to hate me and, you know, ask me when I go off to work again. So it's, uh, you know, I'm just trying to uh, soak everything in while we can. So yeah, you know, what I've been doing good man, very good man. Um, and I know you are going to have a new neighbor soon. Yes. Yeah, what's, what's uh, Alex is moving uh, in uh, down the street from us, uh, uh, about two miles away. So uh, when he comes over to uh, uh, mainline here, maybe we can uh, do a little bit of carpooling or whatever. There you go. By then you'll be Hell a captain. Yeah. Here's here's. I already envisioned the whole thing. You're gonna have your fourth stripe. I mean, okay. you could have it now if you wanted. But okay, when you when you're ready, you don't want you know quality of life. Maybe we'll talk about that. But you know, you'll be the captain. He'll be the new hire. Maybe you'll be his check airman, and you'll be like, Alex, come on. Uh, you could do better than that. I can't sign you off this way. This is not going to work. Uh, Why aren't know, we parking look, up front, Alex? Look I mean, farther look? down the runway, okay? Uh, you know, yeah. you don't flare a jet, Alex. Come on. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know what? I'm okay with all that. I, I think I can live with that. Good. Yeah, and I remember stories of my my dad and uh, Captain Elmore back when they were uh, FO and Captain. Yeah. That uh, they they carpooled to work together. So I don't see why Kyle and I couldn't or hell even, uh, Rob too. Rob's close enough. Yeah. Well, and he, you know, he's he, Rob's kind of the opposite direction though. Alex, so you, yeah. you got to kind of go to, to a detour a little learning. bit down there. I'm, but. I'm still learning. Okay. I get it. Like I know you're on my way home. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Way to, and on the way home. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it's such a small world. And I've been saying this since, you know, I've started in this career over 20 years ago. Um, it is a very, very small world. Be careful. Uh, don't burn any bridges. Be kind to everyone you meet because even if you don't get along, even if your personalities aren't 
you know, meshing correctly or the way you like it to, you, who knows that the situation you might be in in a few years uh, or even 10, you know, uh, just the other day, uh, or I think it was yesterday, uh, Alex, didn't I send you a, a video? So I'm, I'm on the hotel van. I'm, I'm getting ready to go to the airport with my crew. We had a full van and I get a text message from Captain Letourneau. Now, Captain Letourneau has been on the show before. We've interviewed him multiple times. Um, a really great guy, Dave. And he sends me a, a video, very low res, because it was taken, what year was that, Alex? Like 90? Uh, it was 2013. 2013. Okay, so it's not that long ago, but at least low res, it's like cell phone, cell phone video. Yeah, I mean, and it's of of your dad commanding a 737, and David's like taking a quick video of the captain flying the airplane, you know, kind of just on his cell phone. And he's like, hey, I, I was listening to this uh, this uh, podcast, the one we did with your father at, at his house. And he's like, hey, and I just was floored. And I looked through my old photos and I found this video and I thought you guys would enjoy it. So I sent it to you right away. And you're like, oh, yeah, I was on that flight. That was my dad's like last flight. And he was one of so his last flights. That, that, that was my my dad my last flight that i got to fly with my dad uh ever uh and that was a honorable flight because a it was the last flight that i got to fly with him i didn't get to do his retirement flight because that flight started a deployment out to the middle east and we flew commercial uh through chicago chicago to i think london or uh germany and then germany to the middle east and so my dad got to fly us out from san diego to chicago so i have the other side of that video he has a pa that he's you know doing his you know cruise pa and all that stuff and he mentions us on it as well so it was it was kind of cool to to go back in those memories and i'll have to send you the pictures and videos so that you can uh, see them as well yeah that's just in such a small world that here we are oh yeah 2023 i'm on a crew van and because uh you know, a listener, really, a former guest, but a listener was listening to a podcast from a while ago, and it all just kind of reconnected. It is a small world, folks. I know it, it seems like it's not, and you'll probably all never see you again. Yeah, you don't, you never know. So, yeah, for the most you, important thing. Well, and that's how I got started on this show was because I was a listener, and I heard Captain Elmore. Yeah. So. Six degrees of separation, right? Oh, yeah. Small, small, small world, and the aviation world is even smaller. Yeah, it really is. Well, let's get started with the show. Uh, today, we wanted to catch up with everyone since we're all here. Rob said that he was going to try to make it. He also has a honey-do list today. Uh, we all know how important those are when you get one of those. Those take precedence, especially if you're in a loving and committed relationship and you want it to survive. So, <laughs> Rob, as soon as uh, you get a chance, if you can, he's going to join us. Uh, if he if he doesn't, then then. But let's talk about what we've been up to. Uh, let's start out with me, because usually I kind of skip over that part and kind of focus on you guys. But today it's all about the aviator tummy. Well, I wanted to talk about a trip that I took with a captain that I've flown with uh, more than a handful of times. He was a really cool guy. I, I like him, uh, Captain Joel. And we were flying a three-day that departed Ontario and was destined for Dallas, Fort Worth. And after that, we were going to swap airplanes and head on up to, uh, I believe it was Portland. So, okay, 
not my uh, not my favorite city. I, I'm not too crazy about Portland, but um, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. We stay right there by the airport, uh, but usually kind of gloomy at this time of year. So I was like not looking forward to it. But we take off and we're getting to top of climb. And he looks over and he goes, hey, I wonder if we're going to make it into Dallas. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, well, have you seen the weather? I'm like, well, yeah, I was forecasted to be rainy, some thunderstorms in the area, but I think it's all going to pass through before we get there. The TAF indicated that it would pass through by the time we get there. And he goes, well, you know, our our alternate is uh, Wichita Falls, and that's, you know, west of west of the area, so that should be good, right? I'm like, okay. So we're looking at it, we're looking at it, and as we're looking at what's called WSI, our weather uh, app, uh, we can see that this thing is not passing through, it's actually building, and building it was. It got to be pretty bad, to the point where they... Next thing we heard from air traffic control, it was, we were like maybe one or two fixes in on the star and they said, uh, legacy, uh, go ahead and hold as published on this fix and EFC of like, like 45 minutes. So I'm like, oh, things got very busy very quickly. First thing uh, the pilot monitoring does is they get ready for the whole process, you know, entering the hold, making sure it's programmed in the flight management computer correctly. They start calculating what the fuel is on board, what the fuel will be when we enter the hold. Where is our alternate? Is the weather at our alternate still good? Is the weather at our destination going to pass? Are we going to have to hold all the way through the entire EFC time or the estimated further clearance time? Or is this just going to be a couple turns because they're turning the runway around? What's the situation? It gets very busy very quickly. So we both were very good at communicating with each other. We had flown together before. That really did help. And we ended up realizing that we had just about 45 minutes of fuel to play with in the hold, which was what our EFC was. And then we had to really consider either we're going to get clear to go to the airport or we're going to have to go to our alternate because our alternate's weather also was starting to deteriorate unforecastedly. So uh, we did a couple turns in the hold. The appropriate PA was made because the passengers are like, why are we going in circles? You know, the flight attendants are usually the first ones going, ding dong, are we holding? You know, so you know, captain made a PA before we enter the hold. And I started looking at our location and I, I looked at the captain and I said, have you ever been to Abilene? And he goes, no, I've, I've never been to Abilene, Texas. And I said, well, you know, when I was at Eagle, Abilene was kind of like the default alternate west of the field because it's close enough. They have decent services. It's a very small terminal, only two jet bridges. They're not used to doing the mainline stuff. They're used to doing the regional feed. And so they can knock it out. It's a great station. The problem is with Abilene, um, it's much closer. So we can hold longer, and then we can divert to Abilene. The weather's good there. The runway is sufficiently long. The problem is they got like one or two fuel trucks, and if you're not the first one in the pack, you're looking at two, three, four-hour lengthy delays to get out of there because you'll need fuel and everything else. So he started to message the dispatcher and find out if we could change our alternate to Abilene because it made a lot more sense fuel-wise. And maybe that fuel savings that we would get from changing our alternate to a more distant alternate to one that was much closer to the field that we could hold just a little bit longer so that if we had to hold through our our entirety of the estimated further clearance time 
potentially we would have enough fuel to just continue on and not have to divert. Well, sure enough, after about 10, 15 minutes went by, uh, a good four or five turns in the hold, and they called us and said, yeah, you got a new estimated uh, clearance time, and your EFC is now an hour and 40 minutes from now. (laughs) So everybody in the stack was like, okay, roger that, reading back all these clearance, because they gave it to everyone in the stack, in the holding stack. Um, so we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, that's not, it's not going to work. Um, I said, well, captain, I suggest that we make the decision to go to Abilene now before anyone else does so that we're ahead of all the other aircraft so we can get in, get the fuel and get out. Otherwise we might get stuck there. Like, as I suggested earlier, and he goes, you know that, thank you for mentioning that. That's probably a good idea. So as we were kind of getting everything ready, he was sending a message to dispatch. Here's our new EFC time. We're, we're going to go ahead and divert to Abilene. In, in the time it took for him to type that out and send it, we heard another aircraft say, oh, legacy, you know, one, two, three, we're diverting to Abilene. I'm like, oh, here it begins. And once one person in the stack indicates they're going to divert, it usually is a house of cards. So we got in there. We were, I think, the second airplane to say, yeah, we're going to go ahead and divert to Abilene as well. And then there were others behind us. Yeah, we're going to divert too. We're going to divert too. Well, we made it. We landed. And as we taxied in, we noticed that there were three airplanes in front of us. Now, eh, not a bad not a bad place to be. You only have three airplanes in front of you. None of the regional airplanes, they were done for the day. So the station did a phenomenal job getting everyone parked. We we're parked on taxiways. Well, by the time about 20 minutes went by, they fueled one airplane, that airplane left, and now they it was kind of move everybody ahead and kind of fit on this very small ramp. And the 737 that pulled into the ramp, they were an international flight from Mexico. And the pilots were timing out, and the weather in Dallas was not going to let up for at least another hour. So they were trying to figure out what to do because they didn't have customs and uh, officials in Abilene. They had to road trip them out from Dallas. Normally they could fly them out on a flight or something, but they had to road trip them out from Dallas. So that wasn't going to work. And so now this airplane's kind of gumming up the system. And meanwhile, they're, everyone's trickling in. I looked behind us as we turned to move forward onto a taxiway and there was about 10 other airplanes behind us. And I'm thinking, oh, oh this could have been really ugly for us. So it was an interesting chain of events. They finally ended up flying in an airplane and crew to replace the pilots from the international flight. The passengers were not allowed to disembark because there was no customs. So they were flying in a crew that was going to then leave that airplane there and then fly out the that you know passenger load back to Dallas when the weather let up. So that was a big mess. Meanwhile, the rest of us are like, okay, who, who's where, you know, the operations and ground control, they were all trying to coordinate everything. We finally got our fuel. We parked on the ramp under the tower. We finally got our fuel. Air stairs were connected. I did my walk around and then it was time to go. And the weather uh, let up and we were all looking pretty good to get out of there. Now, of course, you know, our layover, our overnight layover canceled because we're now we're hours delayed. And, uh, now we were stuck in the ramp because they parked a 737 next to us that was being fueled and we couldn't, there was not clearance for us to go 
around them because there was another airplane at a, that was parked for the night at the jet bridge and they just didn't have the ability to move that airplane. So now we had to wait for the 737 next to us to finish their fueling. And as soon as they did, they go, yeah, the crew just timed out. So now we're ready to go. There's no reason why we can't get the heck out of there, but we're stuck in the ramp under the tower because there's a 737 in the way. So I got to hand it to the Abilene station. They did a phenomenal job. They came in, they towed the aircraft with everyone on it off and onto a taxiway with the coordination with the ground controller, which allowed us to vacate the ramp area and head down towards the runway. And then they were going to tow them back around, you know, in a, in a loop and park them where we were in the corner and then deplane. And obviously the hotel rooms in Abilene, I'm sure were sold out for, <laughs> for miles and miles. So a flight that was supposed to last only an hour and 45 minutes ended up lasting hours, hour, like three, three and a half hours. And, but we got it done. We got the mission complete. We landed in Dallas and the story does not end there. When we landed in Dallas, they had been pummeled for hours with these cancellations, thunderstorms and adverse weather. So what happens is when the company's hotel desk or their hotel staffing gets overwhelmed in a situation like this, what Legacy Airlines has done as uh, in a way to kind of expedite their flight crews getting hotels is they allow us to book our own hotels through an app called Biz Hero. So that was activated. I went on Biz Hero and the captain, my captain says, hey, uh, Tony, have you ever used Biz Hero before? I said, yes, I have. Um, let's walk us through it. I'll just go ahead and book two rooms for the both of us. It's real easy. So I'm typing away, typing away, and Biz Hero says, Sorry, no hotel rooms under contractual blah, 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 blah available. So I'm like, well, now what? <laughs> so he's like, well, let me call the hotel desk and it's probably on hold. So we, we get off the airplane, they shut it down, it's done for the night. And we're sitting there in the terminal at, at DFW. This is 1230 in the morning. And we're there, we're on hold. He's on hold for like 20 minutes. I called the, the duty pilot. There's a 24 hour hotline for a duty pilot. And of course, I leave a message because they're busy too. She calls me back and says, uh, yeah, what's going on? I explain what happened. And she's like, okay, I, there's a few flight crews that we have. Unfortunately, Biz Hero, there are no more contractable hotels that are under contract for us. We ran out of hotel rooms. We may have to put you up at the Gaylor. And I was like, oh, the Gaylor. I just felt it deep down in myself that this was the the only way at the end of the day and I felt I don't know I just felt it was otherwise going to fall apart okay okay well, I guess we can uh, slum it there for an evening let's be fine now for those of you that don't know just just google it the Gaylor of, of Dallas Texas um, swanky resort hotel yes very swank I was excited I look over at Joel and I'm like hey man they're gonna put us in the Gaylor she's gonna call us right back he's like really what is that good <laughs> And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. I mean, it's like the Waldorf Historia or something, man. This is really good. I've heard things. I've heard things. So uh, she calls me back in about 10 minutes and she goes, yeah, sorry. Uh, the Gaylor did not have rooms. Uh, we did find you a hotel though. So in an Uber, we went, they, they sent us a, a voucher for an Uber. And about 30 minutes later, we arrived <laughs> to some hotel. I don't even know. 
the name of the city. I've never been here before. Are we still in Texas? Yes, we were. Uh, so, hey, it all worked out. Yes, I got to my hotel room around three o'clock in the morning. So it took a good two and a half hours to get that situated. And because everything else canceled in my trip uh, that morning, I was able to stay there until late in the evening. And then I think we did one late back to Ontario. We were done. Um, so the trip kind of fell apart. And it was a very busy trip. And we, we practice and we study holding from your very first instrument, you know, private instrument training course, right? And you got to get in the hole. There's a couple things you have to do. You have to announce to ATC the time you're entering the hole. You have to make sure you're turning in the correct direction, how many miles are the legs. All that's being programmed in your flight management system on the airplane. And nothing's different. The only difference is we're a lot faster when we hold in a jet versus in a Cessna 172 or a, a Piper. And you have to stay ahead of it. And you got to make sure that you're at the right speed. And is are you holding in weather? Is there icing conditions? You know, are you calculating the fuel? And a lot of people will calculate this bingo fuel and they'll come up with a number and then they'll look at what the dispatcher put in there as bingo fuel and that number might be a little higher. And then they might go, well, we're changing the alternate. So from our present position to our destination and destination to our alternate and then landing with a little bit of extra fuel. What's that bingo? And what you do is you take the highest of the three numbers. At least that's what I do. And I go conservative and I go, okay, the highest of the three numbers, that's our bingo fuel. And sometimes what happens is, hey, uh, air traffic control, we reached our bingo fuel. We need to get out of here. We're going to go to our alternate. And they go, okay, uh, turn right clear direct to destination fine and you're doing that and not 30 seconds goes by and they go well they just reopened your destination do you your original destination do you want to go back um in 20 years i've never said yeah yeah okay we'll go back I, in 20 years i'm like, nope we're we're going to our alternate we're done we'll get more fuel because what happens is yeah, and i've heard stories about this before you you go, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll go back, we'll go back. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, nope, sorry, it closed up again. Now now what? Now you don't even have enough fuel to get to your destination or your alternate. So I always err on the side of conservative because I don't need to get there that bad. I'd rather have plenty of fuel. So that was my experience with this last trip, the trip before this one. Um, the rest of the trip went relatively smooth. I have no complaints. But to get an idea of, you know, all you're doing is working on your Sudoku and crossword puzzles and your the autopilot flies the airplane, right? Well, there are times when we are having to rely heavily on the exorbitant amount of knowledge that we have, that we've been trained for, in order to make sound decisions to keep everybody safe and get that airplane back on the ground in one piece. Um, maybe not that dramatic, but <laughs> it, it, we worked. We worked hard. Now, gentlemen, you've all had to experience this at one point in time. That you're holding and you have to make these decisions. Alex is nodding his head no because, well, he's still pretty green. But <laughs> Yeah, no, I am. Uh, no diversions, no holds, no uh, go-arounds, no missed approaches, nothing. No, nothing bad yet. So, I mean, I'm knocking on wood as I'm sitting here at the desk. The more you do, the I'm better you'll be at them. Yeah, because that startle factor is still, I mean, it doesn't matter how many years. The startle factor is there. Go around, startle factor is there. You're like, oh, shit, are we really doing this? What am I supposed to do again? Um, I did three go arounds in one sequence before. Just, it, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I know it will come eventually, but I have not yet to, to do it. So, I mean, the closest I got was uh, we got out of uh, one of the Caribbean islands and came and Miami was a shit show. And we got told to go to this fix and hold. And we got a half of a lap in the hold before we were cleared on the approach. So that was the closest that I've gotten to actual holding. We had one time coming back from Denver, it picked up a, it was supposed to be an easy Denver turnout of DFW and went up to Denver, got up to Denver, saw the weather kind of moving into Dallas, kind of same thing uh, with E. Tony and, uh, uh, start getting on the arrival and uh, we need everybody to slow up. Okay. And, uh, expect that uh, we're closing off some corridors. So expect uh, reroutes and holding here soon. I think we did about three reroutes when it sped down, uh, slow down to slowest practical speed to speed up as fast as you can go to, all right, we're, we're holding now getting a holding over uh, the, and I still remember that night because we, uh, the cab I flew with, we, we had uh, another issue or uh, another flight kind of similar to this uh, last year, but getting the holding fixed, start holding. Um, we put on a lot of, we put on a lot of extra gas leaving Denver because we just figured it was going to be that type of night. So we held for two hours over Wichita Falls, Texas, and uh, everybody started all right, we got to go to Oklahoma City or Austin or Abilene or Wichita Falls. And uh, the front kept moving. And uh, the cap and I were both the GA pilots. So that, that we were talking about alliance with those uh, that don't know what airport alliance is, it's just on the west side, northwest side of the DFW Metroplex and Amazon FedEx fly in there. So they've got long, nice long 10, 11, 12,000 foot runways. And uh, front kept, kept moving through. So we we're like, why don't we uh, tell the uh, dispatcher, hey, instead of Oklahoma City, let's go to Alliance. It's just, it's literally moving through. We could see it. And so uh, everybody was calling out Bingo Fuel and we we're getting close to it. So we we're like, hey, we got to start heading to Alliance. At this point, the weather cleared Alliance and it was just hitting to, uh, DFW, but it, was, it kept moving. And uh, on the arrival, it was my leg coming back. I said, hey, Cap, um, uh, ask when we get on an approach if we see DFW, see if we can go direct to there because Alliance and DFWs, yeah, eight eight miles apart, whatever. And uh, and and in fact, we had to uh, be vectored to land to the north at Alliance, so we were we would uh, a few extra miles. We could have just turned into DFW. So. That's what we did. Get on with approach, and uh, yeah, yeah. DFW just opened up. Uh, everything's gone past, and uh, shown clear uh, on the west side. You guys went three six left, and at this point, we're heading southwest. So like, yeah, we'll take that and landed. I think we were the first or second airplane in at uh, DFW. Landed, get to the gate. Nobody was. Everybody diverted. We show up to the week, the gate. We surprised everybody because it showed us diverting to Alliance. The crew was sitting there. I think they're ready. I think they're getting ready to go back to LA. And uh, everybody was shocked that we got in. But yeah, similar, yeah. Uh, similar situation. And you know, a lot of uh, you got to think fast and um, move fast. And like you said, Tony, all that training comes back and uh, uh, to make those decisions and 
uh, come up with a, a game plan. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's why we get paid the big bucks to go through all that training every year or every six months or whatever your, you know, your training cycle is for your airline. But you know, that, that's what we practice in the sim. I know, you know, Alex, you were saying, oh, I haven't done go arounds, but yeah, you've done them in the sim to proficiency. Question is, have you done them out on the line? And the first time you do them out on the line can be uh, relatively nerve wracking because you're like, oh crap, this is really happening. Uh, once you do it a couple times, like anything else, it's like, oh yeah, okay, I guess we're going to do a go around. That's fine. So you do the go around. But uh, yeah, it, it's weather. This is it. It's we're starting the summer season and we can expect more of these uh, convective fronts and, you know, weather coming in, c- creating havoc. So how you handle yourself, staying ahead of the airplane, planning the fuel, staying conservative, all that stuff just makes life just a little bit less stressful. So Alex, since you have to go pretty soon, let's get to you. Uh what has moving or getting ready to move been like? I know you've been very excited. We've been getting text messages from you in the group here about the the house and your closing. Congratulations, by the way, on closing on the house. Uh, it's a big Thank you. first step for a family. Um, you know, Kyle's, you know, two years into this house project, right? Or about a year and a half. Yeah, two years now. Two years. Se- second, ho- second home. Yeah. So it's a lot of work. Uh, moving is a lot of work, uh, you know, getting all the utilities and everything turned on and then getting into your routine, which is even harder. Uh, and so this is big because not only are you moving from across town, you're moving out of state. What was the driving factor for you to move your family to, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area? Um, honestly, it's the quality of life that we're all going to get. Um not just me. I mean, selfishly, I can say that I'm going to have a 40 minute drive to work, right. Versus, uh, you know, a three hour flight home and then an hour drive from the airport to get home. So selfishly that's for me, but, uh, for the quality of life for my family, like the the schools are really good out in the area. Um, the, the, the cost of living out here is like dirt cheap. And I don't mean that in like a bad way. Like it is substantially cheaper than California. Um, the taxes are substantially cheaper than California. Um, it's just the, the, my money that I'm making is going to go a hell of a lot further here in the Dallas Fort Worth area versus in California. And like, I, I, we did research and did all our, our due diligence when we looked and bought the house, we bought a brand new build. So it's turnkey ready. Like we just move in, not much work really needs to be done. I think the only thing really we need to like do is buy blinds for it at this point. Um, other than that, like it's, it's ready to go. Um, the builder specced it. Like this is like one of the top spec builds that they put, they put all the bells and whistles into it. So it's like basically everything that we wanted and like are looking for in a house. And yes, I do have a spot that I'm going to make my podcast studio. Um, that uh you know it just it's it's you know good it's good fiscally responsible decision to uproot and move to california or from california um i looked the the house that i grew up in not the one that you came to tony but the one we lived at before that i looked to just kind of compare because i remember seeing that it was a four bedroom three bath house that i remember growing up and i was like okay let me see what it looks on zillow and do some comparisons. Well, that was built in 80, 88, 89, um, 
four bedrooms, three bath, 2,500 square feet. And the house that we bought was four bedrooms, three and a half bath, like just shy of 3,000 square feet. Uh, the house in California was would sell today for seven fifty. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. And the cost of living in California. You're, you're is, muted. <laughs> I was saying it was. It's ridiculous that the cost of California for housing has skyrocketed over the past decade. And I just, I, Roger and I talk about this all the time. It's like, how do people afford? to buy these houses and, and what do they have to you do? Don't. Because traditionally you would have to make a lot more money to afford a three quarter of a million dollar home than the people that are actually buying these homes. And so how are they yeah. doing it? They're getting these loans, they're getting these interest rates that are lower, but that means that they're really in over their head here because if one little thing changes, you lose your job, you get furloughed, you get sick, you have medical expenses, uh, you know. And the interesting thing is I just read recently read an article that uh, the automotive repossessions are going to skyrocket in 2023 because what happened was during the pandemic, a lot of people used some of that stimulus money to put down payments on new cars and upgrade their cars. And now what's happening with inflation is that if you're going to be tight on something, you're not going to skip food. You're not going to skip rent or mortgage. You are going to skip a car payment. And what's happening mm -hmm. is a lot of these car payments are getting skipped. And here in the next 90 days, you're going to start to see more and more news articles and, and news stories about car repossessions going up in the U.S. Um, so you have to do something. You have to minimize your expenditures. Well, if you've made poor decisions and over, you know, stretched your financials all it and, and that's another advice thing that we talk about here on the show if you get a new job and you're getting a big check big paycheck for the first time in your life or you just went from flying like a beach 99 for some operator and now you got a job at uh, a regional airline that's paying you five hundred thousand dollars your first three years which we'll talk about um be careful don't go out and spend $500,000 worth of home, you want to buy a home that's affordable. And you were doing the right thing because instead of staying in California, close to family, in an area where eh, maybe you can swing it, but if anything happens, that's going to be crazy. So you've chosen to move to the Dallas area for one, quality of life. For two, the expenditures that are going to be minimized. You get more bang for your buck. There's no question there. And really every opportunity for your children are there as well. It's not like they're... yeah going to be denied something you know no and that, and that's exactly the reason why we did it was like i could stay in california i could commute and you know it it sucks but like you know we could stay there and we could be close to home we could be you know near family and all that stuff but like the living expense out there like the the average <laughs> so my wife and I were driving down to San Diego and I was curious to see what the apartment when I lived in San Diego, uh, when I was in active duty, uh, what the apartment that I rented down there was going for. Right. And it was a one bedroom apartment, uh, 800 something square feet. And it's going for 2910. So that's an apartment. Rent. Not Rental. a whole. You don't own it. Rent. Rent. Yes. An apartment for 29, a one bedroom for 2900 square feet. And where is yes. that? San Diego. Um, uh, exit north of Friars Arrow. Okay. So kind of so, Sierra Santa area. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's, you know, um, uh, it, it's, it, it's California is just getting too expensive. 
And I mean, there's a myriad of other reasons why I'm moving out of California too, which I don't want to get into on the show, but you know, the, my cost of living is going to go down tremendously. My quality of life is going to go through the roof. You know, now I don't have to, uh, like the end of this trip, I ended up dropping a turn, but the end of this trip, um, we would get in at like seven, eight o'clock at night. And the only flight home at that point to Ontario is 1030 at night. And so that puts me in at 1130 in California, which then 40, you know, 45 minutes, hour drive home. I'm getting home at 1230, one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And that's, that's Why time you'll never get back. That? that commuting time. I've always said I did it for what? 13 years. That's time that, yeah, in some aspects you can, you can use that time to read a book, you know, catch up on some other business you have, but that's time you'll never get back. And if you're not and making exactly money it. or spending time with your family in that time, it's kind of lost and you never get it back. It's like rent. You pay rent to live somewhere for 30 days. And at the end of it, the money's gone and you have nothing to show for it other than you had a roof over your head for 30 days. But if you invest in a property, in a home, and you're paying a mortgage, you're paying yourself. And yeah. at the end of the day, like you said, you, you go, you buy a house and then 10, 15, 20 years down the road, it's worth triple what the value is if the economy does what it's been doing traditionally. So at least it's an investment. Now, granted, yeah. I don't think I should just make one thing clear. I'm not here to give financial advice. I am just some schmuck that's talking about uh, the airline journey and the airplane journey, the career of the airline pilot or the the professional pilot. Um, so with that said, uh, the house you live in is not an investment. It is an asset <laughs> or I'm sorry, it's a liability. Yeah. So it's a liability, right, Roger? Um, it's it's you live there. If you sell it, you need a place to live. So you need to have more than one if you're going to use real estate for investing. So you buy a second home and you put a renter in it and they pay your mortgage and then finally you sell it and you can turn a profit and pay capital gains tax and be a good citizen. <laughs> so, but, uh, but that advice is neither condoned or sponsored. <laughs> I don't know what to say. But that's, that's the thing is like with, and I know that obviously you guys are going to talk about it after I leave because I'm going to be getting off here in probably about like five, 10 minutes. Hey, that but, sounds personal. Um, the, the, sorry, I'm going to be leaving the podcast. Let's, let's, let's change phrasing. I get it. Phraseology. Um, I'm going to be leaving here in like five, 10 minutes cause I got to get ready to go. But, um, the, the regionals right now, like with PSA, Envoy, Piedmont, uh, Sky West, like all of them are starting to do this where they're, you know, they're throwing money at people so that they can come in because, well, we're in a pilot shortage and the, the, the wholly owned that I work for uh, is throwing a hundred thousand dollars day zero signing bonus to a direct entry captain. That's before you even start, you get a hundred grand, not, not that they match your longevity if you were at another airline. So if you've been at uh, whatever airline for, you know, 10 years, they match your 10 year pay and they match your 10 year vacation Wow. Granted, your seen your flight seniority is bottom of the barrel, but you're yeah. coming in basically at the same ten years that you've been at. So you start at a higher tier. Like the it it's you know right now in the regional world, we're in a good spot that we can like I can afford to go move my family across the country. So what you're saying you know? to me, if I'm understanding this whole longevity match. 
pay, okay, that's an unusual and unique circumstance that we've never seen before. But this longevity match, you're basically describing the effects of a national seniority list, are you not? More or less. So if you I mean, if you work ten years at ABC Airline and then decide to go to Sandpiper, you walk in at year ten pay. That's what a national seniority list would grant you. Yes. Well, okay. Well, we're missing well, a, a key a, a key part of that, and that's quality of life. So yeah, no, and, and but that's the thing is at Sandpiper, right? Like they yes, they are doing they are honoring you know if you want to call it a master seniority list or a national seniority list with the longevity match. But your quality of life, your bottom of the barrel. Like I'm your seniority I'm still flying low, with. Yeah. yeah. The captain I've the last two captains I've flown with on this trip because they, you know, the captain I was originally flying with dropped the trip. So I got, you know, the two reserve guys. One of the guys is like four hundred numbers junior to me. Mm. Wow. So So he's gonna he be a uh, airport you know, standby forever. <laughs> Exactly. So that's, that's, that's the negative of it with this, you know, with this matching. Yeah, you're great that you could come in at 10 years, but you're going to sit reserve for the next three, you know, till the class, I forget, I think it's like two or three classes behind me, FOs that are going to upgrade. So out of seniority upgrades, that's what you're talking about. Yes. And Terry's doing the math and he's like, I don't, I have to think about this. You know, I spent, (laughs) well, Years if you want to come work for Sandpiper. I spent hey, 12 hey. years at ExpressJet. Now, 11 of those years I was on military leave, but, you know, 12 years at ExpressJet. Hmm. No. I mean, I, I'll write you a good letter of rec over at Sandpiper, Terry. I'll do it. <laughs> he, just, he just wants to know. Signing, or day zero signing bonus, plus, you know, in the next three years, you can make close to $500,000, plus your 12 years of at ExpressJet. Like, yeah, if you could figure out a way to take a leave of absence from mainline, <laughs> hold your spot, and then go to a regional, get your 500K for the first three years, and then come back, that's not a bad deal. <laughs> so, but no, going back to the house and doing all that, it's with the, the industry being as it is right now for the regional pilot, it makes good sense for me to not commute anymore. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. And if I can afford to buy a house in Texas, which I wouldn't be able to do in California, just based off of the cost of living out there, then I'm going to do it and I'm going to move my family, which is what we're going to do. We're going to become where, I mean, I officially changed my address on the 27th when I got done, you know, signing paperwork. That was the first thing I did. I was literally like, wait, wait, hold on. Before we take any pictures, go to my sandpiperair.com, change my address, Texas resident. Okay. Now we can take pictures. Nice. Yeah. And does that change? That changes. Because it's a move, so it's it's considered what's called a critical event, right? So now you get to reselect all like the things like your benefits and your healthcare plans and stuff because now you've you've moved. So you know, a critical event has happened. So you get. I'm not really changing any of that shit. That's that's all going to stay the same because we got you know the good plans and everything like that through the Blue Cross stuff. But yeah, it's like I said, it. It's fiscally, it's a fiscally smart move for my family. And again, I'm not a financial whiz, like Tony's saying, like, I don't condone, you know, my advice or whatever. You don't condone it? And my family. (laughs) I don't condone your advice either. (laughs) I I, don't take my advice. Like, I'm just one guy. Like, please don't, please, please don't follow me and do what I do. Like, I'm doing it because I know it's going to meet my family's needs. Yeah. Roger. So. Tip of your tongue. What were you going to say? 
Uh, no, I don't have anything on that. I mean, obviously, from a financial aspect, everyone's going to look at this and has to do their own their own personal and familial algorithm. I can tell you that um, there it's more than just financial. Um, we have a pilot, the latest pilot that we hired just about six months ago, moved from Dallas. Mm. He, you know, took a it was a small pay raise, but from a kind of like what you guys were talking about from an overall standpoint, it was probably a little bit of a pay cut because of the cost of living. However, his wife was like, we're not going to stay in Dallas. I hate Dallas. We're, we need to leave. Yeah. They would both been from California, from Northern um, San Diego County, which is where they moved back to, mm. um, you know, so it's, it's to each their own. I, but like I said, I didn't have anything to say on that, but it, it you know, each person needs to do their own, their own thing. And I think the big question is, Alex, are you happy? Alex, is your wife happy? And if you guys can answer that, that question with an affirmative and plan to stay in the house for the next five years, that coming from more of the real estate side of stuff, then I think, you know, you'll be okay. You know, well, there's some long, that's, longevity. That's exactly where we're at. The long-term planning aspect of it, which is, okay, well, I moved to Dallas. Do you want to work for airlines based in Dallas? And if the answer to that is yes then I think that this is probably going to be a really good long-term move. Assuming you guys can put up with Dallas, I wouldn't move there. I, you know, I'd commute. I, you know, like Terry, I was an express jet who actually flew there and suffered for five years. And I would not move to Houston. I would not do it, but I was spoiled by growing up in Southern California. And then I discovered, you know, later through my career, living in Phoenix, living in Denver, I don't, you know, Phoenix is hot. Denver is cold and there's this stuff that falls from the sky and your car slides around on it and it's scary as all hell. And Houston is just disgusting. Oh, but come on. Everybody, everybody is going to have their own, you know, personal, you know, maybe where you grew up, what you're used to. And then there's the financial aspect of it. But if you can, I mean, as long as you're happy, yeah, there's no question that, you know, your dollar, Alex and Kyle and Rob's dollar is going to go farther than tony's dollar and my dollar and to a certain extent also to terry's dollar you know where he's at as well yeah well and at the end of the day that that is the questions that we answered like right now my wife and i are happy the 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 house is a solid place you know we're you know everything right now for the next five years is where we're planning to be you know like what you're saying that initial five year that's where we're at that's what we want to do that's what we're going to settle in and take it from there and who knows where I'm going to be in five years anyways. So, um, but yeah, uh, well, we I think have it's a great move community. for you, Alex. I, I'm really happy for yeah. you because, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it for all the right reasons and that's quality of life. And we're going to talk about quality of life, how contracts can affect that, how the airline that you choose to go fly for for the rest of your career can affect your quality of life and much more right after the break. Perfect. That's a good time to end. I gotta go. I gotta go fly. I got four legs today. Um, so how much time before van time? Uh, fifteen minutes. Oh my god! Get the f- out of And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. Well, I've been just so excited all week. Because I knew that I was going to get together with my friends and my co-hosts here and have you guys all on the show. Um, Alex had to go. 
uh, he he dropped the uh, information that uh, he had a, a van time that was 15 minutes away. So, so that got exciting really quick. Uh, so thank you, Alex, for uh, for spending time with us and uh, giving us the rundown on your move. Another person we've been very excited to catch up with, we haven't seen you since the beginning of the year, uh, is Kyle. Kyle, you know, welcome back to the show. Uh, we always enjoy getting your perspective on the industry and what's going on. Uh, we can't say enough good things about your Facebook page. That must take quite a bit of time out of your day. I mean, you're posting constantly great stories, great resources uh, about aviation business information. Uh, does that take a lot of time out of your schedule? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, every article that I post, I, I go in and read and, uh, there's actually quite a few articles that I don't post, uh, just because it's either, uh, repeat information or not enough information on the subject. So yeah, I, uh, uh, usually go through those throughout the day and then post, uh, what I feel is a, a great, uh, um, article for, uh, new information or, uh, updated coverage or or you name it so just trying to keep everybody in the loop of uh what's going on in the uh, industry and how fast things are moving right now yeah and it's a really great way i always every morning i'm looking at it to see what you've posted and for those that have not heard of kyle's page on facebook if you're a facebook user All you have to do is go to the Aviation Business Information Board search, right? So search search for that. Uh, And then it's a group page. So they'll, you have to ask to join, right? And they'll Mm -hmm. ask you some questions. And then one of the administrators will give you the thumbs up and allow you to get in there. Um, You've got 843 members currently in the group. Yes. And are are you, do you even care how many people are in there or are you looking to expand or what, what's your goal uh, for the yeah, future? Yeah, we're looking to expand, um, just keeping, uh, uh, keeping everybody up to date and, uh, it's, uh, a good group to, uh, to be a part of. And, um, we cover everything from airline to corporate, to charter, to cargo, to regional, to, uh, there's a few foreign carriers in there. We have a few foreign members uh, that uh, have asked uh, uh, about information on uh, foreign carriers. So mm-hmm. um, just uh, we'll, we'll expand to whoever wants to join and whoever wants to be a part of it. Yeah. Now, you earlier we were having a discussion and you you spoke of how your three day trip turned into two flight legs and, and it turned into a sick. Is it turned into a sick call? What happened? No, no. So this was, uh, th- I think this was around the time you did your trip, Tony, about, uh, was that two weeks ago, three, three weeks ago now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, somewhere in there where the big, uh, front came through DFW, the, uh, the mega hub, uh, for legacy airlines. And, uh, that day we were, so our, our, it was our day two of out of three. And, uh, the first day was, uh, very nice day. Everything ran on schedule. Didn't have any maintenance issues, which was nice, which uh, is unheard of nowadays um, with all the supply chain issues, not being able to fix airplanes right away. But uh, um, you don't believe one, that, we, though, do you? Uh, 
You don't believe that, do you? Supply chain no. issues? Okay. No. Just, just to make just, excuse. Let's just be clear. <laughs> Thank you, Legacy yeah, Airlines. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. It, you know, heard anywhere from su- supply chain to we don't have enough uh, people. It's, you know, it, I heard about every excuse in the book. But, uh, but yeah, day one consisted of a uh, nice uh, two leg um, DFW to LA, had an hour and and a half on the ground in LAX. Yeah. You get a coffee and a, uh, well, I'm an iced tea drinker, so got an iced tea and a, a, a cookie. And uh, then the next leg was one leg to uh, Austin, our uh, new uh, mini hub, as the uh, DFW pilots call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a long overnight in Austin, about 18 hours down there. And then uh, day two, we were supposed to do uh, Austin to Tampa. 14 hours and then we're supposed to do Tampa, Charlotte, Tampa back to DFW. Now, day one went one as planned. Day two, so we flew the two legs. Day two, um, got up as usual, uh, had breakfast, met uh, a couple friends down in Austin for launch, and uh, my my phone started going off with notifications on uh uh flight delays cancellations weather's moving in throughout the day and uh started looking at looking at everything's like why are we canceling everything at noon we're not supposed to leave for tampa till 6 30 tonight and the plane's running on time and crews here don't know what's going on and so we got i, I can't even tell probably like 15 different notifications on schedule changes what we're gonna do what we weren't gonna do but long story short it ended up being they rescheduled us instead of flying one leg to tampa uh we're gonna deadhead to go to dallas and then fly one leg to philadelphia which i was a whole nother story um so we uh about an hour goes by they ended up canceling the deadhead to dallas to go to philly so they ended up telling us, uh, hey, you're going to, uh, well, let me back up. So after the deadhead to go to Philly, the day three was Philly to Charlotte, Charlotte to da- deadhead to Dallas. So we're like, okay. And then when the deadhead canceled, they told us to just fly another later trip. Uh, worked the leg from Austin to DFW, 10 hours rest at the airport hotel at DFW. And then we we're going to deadhead the next day. We we're going to deadhead to Philly to operate one leg to Charlotte, then to deadhead to Dallas, Jeez. which didn't make any sense to us at yeah. the time. So we, uh, we got to the airport. Um, we ended up sitting for five hours as, Everything was getting delayed with all the weather and planes were getting diverted and uh, uh, that whole line of weather uh, went all the way down south. I believe it hit all the way down just uh, north of uh, Brownsville, I think, is when I looked at it. But uh, tops were 50,000 foot storms, so they're strong storms and um, getting ready to go. And uh, 10 o'clock rolls around and uh, the plane got in. We were get, looking at our flight plan. Everybody was going west and then going into DFW. And I guess there was a second line of uh, weather moving DFW. <laughs> Excuse me. And they ended up canceling it. Mm-hmm. So we uh, 
like okay and so um and during that time while we were getting our stuff ready to go and i know this is a big no-no but it was bugging the captain i was flying without the time he he ended up calling crew tracking and asked him to take a look at our schedule and because on day three it didn't make a whole lot of sense to have two deadheads and operate an hour and 20 minute leg which um they uh ended up taking that off they just said hey if you get, get the plane to dallas tonight you guys are done so, yeah. okay <laughs> so that flight canceled the 10 10 30 flight going back to austin severely delayed and uh um it ended up canceling couldn't get a hold of anybody uh, at the hotel limited us they released us couldn't get a hold of anybody there uh biz here wasn't working um crews were having to get being uh hotels an hour hour and a half outside of our the town the, from the airport right. on top of a uber and at this point it was raining heavy rain in austin and so uh we found uh cap and i just started calling around and found a uh i think it was a holiday inn holiday inn express i was like you know it's as long as we got a hot shower and you know a bed tonight sleeping i'm okay uh and uh, we ended up deadheading back to dfw the next morning so you ended up uh, booking after. your own hotel yes yeah we called um the duty pilot wasn't much help at that time uh and we ended up booking our own hotel which you know go figure nothing works yeah and uh crews were stranded down in austin there were some people that were refusing to use it some people that you know, already had their scheduled hotel they went to, and uh, it, it was just, it was a mess like it always is uh, when things hit the fan like that. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, we had, we operated two legs out of a, a three day trip that, uh, you know, it's not uh, very insufficient um, for both parties, which, yeah, I'm not, I'm not complaining that we got home early, but yeah, um, just, you, you look at some of these scheduling things and uh, the decisions that are made and uh, a lot of head scratchers going forward on, and just feel bad for all the customers and just not at legacy. It's a, it's everywhere. Everybody's yeah. doing it right now. So it's yeah. uh, very surprising that uh, I, I don't think my time here, I've ever, I've ever only flown two legs in a, a three day trip or a four day trip. It's always okay. We need you. You're playing catch up with your sequence, or okay, we need you to cover this now or whatnot. Um, but uh, I've never only just been able to. All right, fly two legs, and all right, you guys go home now. Yeah, kind of shocking to us, but uh, yeah. I but and yeah. I've seen people post like their their trip sequences online, where it's like okay, flight canceled. They did headed you out to some destination, okay, but then that flight canceled. So now you're spending the night, and the next day you're deadheading back to some other. And then that could that flight. And so in four days, all they do is deadhead like six flights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and you that's know, a lot of movies to watch. <laughs> right, not a lot of movies, but now you're kick, kicking off paying customers mm-hmm. that you know who knows how many seats they had to kick people off that would have had a seat but now we're yet yeah. to just accommodate to keep the operation moving and it's like yeah i feel like sometimes the airlines forget we're in the people business yeah and uh, have to accommodate customers that right pay the bills and uh pay everything and sometimes you don't when you're half the airplanes full of 
deadheaders and um yeah the other day I, I printed out an ns list for for my flight yeah and uh, i looked at it i didn't print it out but i i screenshotted it it had 18 positive space deadheaders 18 and granted yes it was the day after that big storm in dallas and mm-hmm. people needed to get back to wherever they needed to get back to and i i get it and mm-hmm. that's and that's you know acts of god they call it you know th- those are circumstances beyond the control of the airline but if they had a little bit better organizational scheduling organizational uh, abilities i don't think they would put you know all those people on the same flight cuz half the flight was crew members in uniform and right, and that's right. and like you said it, it's all about optics that sends a message out there to passengers sorry uh, i know you paid for this flight 6 months ago then you have to go to nana's uh, you know whatever birthday party but you're not going to make it because we got to get our pilots and our flight attendants to where they need to be it's terrible optics and there's a reason why that list came out i know you published it on your board that american was what uh, in terms of the top 10 best airlines in the country american was like nine and spirit spirit was two spirit yeah was two and i and i you know just looking at that list it's uh it's it's hard to see spirit at number two uh it, you know it's this just is customer this is a customer know. satisfaction survey that was taken a customer eyes. satisfaction survey so what is uh, it eyes but but yeah it uh yeah everybody has to do <laughs> has to do better and build schedules uh that can uh accommodate and that are uh they'll actually work and that's what we see everybody's uh cramming everybody in to work the full amount of duty time for the day, flight time for the day. And when uh, X, Y, and Z happens, this is what happens. And, uh, you know, nothing we can do about it. Um, yeah. but just a lot, a lot of head scratching. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, uh, you survived that trip. Now at the intro, you said you've been homesick. What, how did, what happened here? Well, I was out cutting the grass <laughs> This was about a week, week and a half ago now. And uh, Rob and my wife said, Kyle, you probably need to wear a mask when you mow. It's like, nah, it's okay. I've been mowing in Texas for a long time. You know, it's, it's, it'll be okay. And so I should have listened. Mowed next morning, Sunday hit and started getting us the scratchy throat. It's like, okay, salt water and meds, blah, blah, blah. Tuesday rolled around. It, started getting worse and then went to the doctor on the Monday and then I was supposed to go. Yeah. Supposed to leave for a trip Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, ended up calling out sick for, and then uh, got some meds and it's getting better. I'm still feeling better, but, uh, uh, excuse me, had another trip that left yesterday and, uh, wasn't feeling 100% yet on Sunday. And the way our, our sick uh, works here is the day prior at 8 a.m., if you do not clear the sick list, mm-hmm. uh, your trip gets dropped into open time and you're charged sick again, which, you know, if you don't feel well, don't show up to work sick, right? So uh, still wasn't 100% and uh, ended up uh, had another trip uh, called out sick for, but yeah. I am feeling better another couple days and uh, should be good to go for my uh, Sunday trip. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with us because, you know, it's so important. Now, Roger might 
disagree with me here, but I think as an airline pilot, considering that we're in these tight, small spaces at flying a trip, if you don't feel up to par, you got the sniffle, oh, it's just allergies. You know, you hear it all the time and they're flying and they're, they're wheezing and they're coughing and you're like, oh, just allergies, really? Um, just stay home. I know we, we all we want to complete the mission. We all want to get it done. We all want to get paid. I mean, you're getting paid for sick if you have sick. And, and don't abuse the sick policy by any means. You don't want to do that. But it's so important in our career field that when you're not feeling good, stay home. Especially when you're dealing with allergies and sinus blockage and sinus infections. Because all you're going to do is make it worse. Take, it'll make your recovery time longer. And it, you'll just feel miserable. And the last thing you want is an ear block when you're commanding an aircraft. I mean, it's one thing if you're like, you got to be somewhere, you got to fly somewhere and you, you know, okay, you're going to, you're going to medicate yourself and you're going to get on the plane. You're going to, you're going to make the best of it, but you can't medicate yourself like the passengers. There are so many restrictions on what we can and cannot take by the aeromedical group, the aeromedical board of the FAA. You know, you can't go and take an antihistamine and go fly an airplane. It's prohibited. And so if anything were to happen, you say, well, Tony, who's checking, right? Who's going to know? You know, but if anything were to happen, okay, some, some airplane gets towed and backed into you and now the wingtips clip while you were parked at the gate with the parking brake set and you haven't even started your trip yet, but you were on board the aircraft. Guess what? You're going to go for a drug test, drug and breathalyzer and P test, blood test, whatever. Why? Because... If for any reason they need all, they need all that for the lawyers, right? Because I'm sure one party is going to sue the other or whatever, but they're going to need all that. Well, your pilot was on antihistamines. They were probably groggy and made bad decision-making, you know, whatever. So in the event something happens, number one, number two, it is prohibited. So you shouldn't be doing it because if you get caught, it's your own damn fault. So it's good that you were on medication. You decided to stay home and thank you for sharing that because I think it's a very important topic to discuss, especially for new aviators that maybe haven't been flying the line very long and, and they're like, well, you know, what's a, what's a Benadryl going to do, right? Yep. And one more thing to throw out there, Tony, for it, you know, when you, when you call out sick prior to trip, you're not going to get any backlash from a, a chief pilot or a upper management personnel. But when you start calling out sick on the road, um, you know, on a layover somewhere, let's just say, you know, uh, Oklahoma city or Columbus or whatever, you're at a secondary or third area city and you call out sick. Now the company has to fly a crew member, uh, out to pick up the rest of your trip. And sometimes that's not always going to work out with the company. So now you're, you're not only, delaying your flight but you may have delayed your crew members that you've been working for with the trip that may may or may not have a, a commute flight uh may have something going on when they get back home um there's just a lot of x y and z factors so just if you're if you're sick just stay home get well it's not fun flying an airplane sick and uh you gotta take care of yourself first and uh yeah it uh uh helps out your fellow uh employees yeah now let's say and it's a good question to ask for for all of you here today um let's say you're on a trip you're on a four-day trip and on day two you're starting to feel under the weather and you're popping some you know vitamins emergencies whatever you're going to take you know and you wake up the next morning and your van time's in about six hours and you're just 
you feel miserable. Okay? And I know from experience that a lot of us are just going to like take that hot shower and just kind of muddle through it and just at least as long to get to base, just to get to base. And then when you're in base, you can go to Cheap Hot's office and go, hey man, I don't feel good. I got to go home. Give me, a, give me an EO. Uh, and I think they call it emergency other or something like that. Day off. Mer- emergency off. Emergency off. Yeah. Um, and I've done that before. But I flew that leg, and I and I told the captain that this was many many years ago. And I told the captain, I'm like, man, I don't feel good, um, and I, I, I'm okay to fly it back to base. But when I get to base, I'm going to call out. And sometimes the captain will look at you and go, No, no, you're calling out sick right now. Let's cancel the flight. Whatever we got to do, or you know, fly somebody else in here from base. It'll be delayed four hours, but you can't fly. And I can understand that that situation i can also understand the situation hey man that's your leg i'll just work the radios let's just get back so that i can get back to base and these people can get to where they're going you have to weigh that decision with each individual scenario as it plays out now i know roger has talked about this before where in a part 91 situation you're not a scheduled flight operation but you have owners that depend on you to get them from point a to point b because they have very important business meetings to get to or you know, they've, they've got the craps table in, in Tahoe that they need to get to. Either way, so sometimes you may not feel 100%, but you're going to go anyway. And I think that's more often the case in a Part 91 scenario, or maybe even a 135 scenario. Roger, what's your experience? Do, you, do people actually, are they pretty good about calling out sick when they need to? Or, or do they feel obligated to set a good impression and just kind of muddle through it? Yeah, it's not that I would disagree with anything that you said there. It's just a very different dynamic. Um, Unfortunately, you know, when you're flying in an airline operation where they're specifically your staffing model specifically has reserves for for situations like this, it's a very different. It's just a very different dynamic. You know, if you're sick and it's going to affect your ability to fly the airplane your cognitive uh, you know abilities you know i don't care what kind of operation you're flying whether you're flying part 61 flight training flight you know on day two or whether you're or whether you're flying you know a Gulfstream 650 across to beijing it, you, you shouldn't be on the airplane if if either if those things are starting to happen i mean i fly sick all the time i have a cold you know, it doesn't affect my cognitive abilities. I don't worry about it. I do not medicate myself. Um, kind of like what what you were talking about. Um, every once in a while, um, I think Dayquil's okay, but even that, I don't, I don't do um, because for the reasons that you were you were talking about. But unfortunately, we don't have the staffing. We don't have excess crew members that can just kind of show up and and cover a flight that had to go. Um, so that's kind of talking about one thing, but it depends on what you're sick with. There are times you flat out cannot fly, you know, knock on wood. It hasn't actually happened. Actually, it kind of did one time. I, I had somebody actually do it for me. But, um, you know, if you've got the flu, if, you, if you've got, you know, a stomach bug and you're, you know, yakking all over the place, don't go. <laughs> like, yeah. Even at a part 91, there are limits on what you can do. In my case, I don't know. I, I mean, it was actually a really minor thing. I woke up at an outstation I was supposed to do, or what you guys would call an outstation. I was supposed to come back and pick up another trip. And I woke up and I don't know what was going on with my left eye, 
but it, I felt like I had scratched it really bad and it was bad, like bad enough yeah. that I called and I made, I, I, I was like, look, I can get somebody else to fill this flight because I do the schedule and I knew kind of what I could do. And I went to the eye doctor, it just turned out that it, it was dry. Now I have not experienced anything like that ever before. I have not experienced anything like that since, um, <laughs> but that's all it was. Yeah. Um, but that, even that was bad enough that it, you know, you know, it, is there another option that I can cover this? Because, you know, when you're talking about, you know, your eye, that's something a little, that's a little bit of a different level again. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- you know, it is much more, you know, I, I, we don't live in a black and white world. And even in the aviation industry, we don't live in the, bl- in a black and white world. Whereas you guys have some options that really, quite frankly, we don't, you know, if, if we, ha- if I had to replace a crew member every time they had the sniffles, we'd have some serious problems. I, that's, that's just the reality of the situation. If Kyle's not feeling good, he's still feeling under the weather, even from last week, then, you know, you guys have options. He makes a phone call and then, you know, legacy airline schedule still goes out. Plane still flies from Dallas to Columbus or whatever it is. Right. And so there's, it's, it's just different. It's because yeah. things aren't black and white. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually, I I don't know how it is for you guys, but for us, we have to certify ourselves fit for flying duty Mm -hmm. before every, uh, before every leg. Um, so, you know, if if you go in there and, you know, say you wake up, like I'm, I'm here in Vegas and, you know, if I woke up today and felt like crap because of the altitude or whatever, maybe I'm not fit and I don't certify myself fit. And I, I call the, uh, call crew scheduling and say, Hey, you know, I I'm not feeling so hot and, and head back. Now we just opened up a crew base here. So, uh, I'm sure they could staff it, but you know, if it were an outstation, then, you know, it could, uh, could disrupt the operation slightly, but they're still going to figure out a way to make it work. It may go out late, but it'll go. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I'll caveat all that with uh, today's go home day, so we're going home. There, there you go. Nothing stops to go home. And see, that's the, that's the thing is that I mean, yes, like Terry just said. I mean, there is a bar that a fit for duty that every single pilot should do or has to do every single time. And for some of those scenarios, you know, if if it's that bad, you can't go whether it's go home day or whatever. But it's it's funny how that bar kind of just changes. Well, it's go home day. Well, that bar, yeah, that bar is just a little bit higher. It's day one of my flight. That bar is pretty low right yeah. now. And everybody has to make that determination for themselves. And in reality, that's going to be affected by external factors completely outside of how you are feeling. Right. Yeah. Is my my favorite is, is when they, day four. Yeah. Are you in a part 91? Are you in a part 121? And yeah. so that bar, every, yes, everybody has to have that, you know, you, you do need to be fit for duty at no point. Should you ever, ever, ever fly an airplane? If you are, if, if you are doubting your ability to be able to get from point A to point B safely, that that's it. That discussion it doesn't go it's any done. farther. And all this other stuff that I think that we're really talking about is everything else that falls in that gray area. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like, I called out sick at the beginning of this month. I had a trip, yeah. um, so April's the first month I've had a line and my very first trip on that line, I called out sick. Um, I, I pulled a muscle in my back at the gym and like, I couldn't raise my left arm above like shoulder level. So like, I was concerned that I couldn't, you know, push the throttles up, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, call out sick. There's no harm, no foul. I was not in a condition where I felt comfortable getting in the jet and called out sick and there was no, no issue with it. So you, you just got to, 
uh, stuff happens. You just got to assess your, your fitness for duty. Yeah. Uh, the liability runs the world, I think now in, in this decade. And so the company wants you to call out sick because the liability of something happening because you were not fit. I mean, granted, they can always, you know, turn the blame on you. Well, you signed fit for duty. Why did you do that? You know, but at the end of the day, when they're looking at the the safe operation and financially the burden of the liability that is imposed upon your employer that you are ready to work, that's why we have to sign. It's a FAR 117 rule that you have to uh, sign in fit for duty prior to every leg of of the trip before every flight um so yeah if if you can't do it or you don't feel up to the challenge then absolutely something that a captain told me years ago was i want you to imagine that you're in the simulator during your recurrent and there's going to be a v1 cut right at you know the engine failure right after v1 and you're now you're flying and you have to fly the actual airplane with people on board single engine with an engine that just blew up on you because you had ingested a bird right at V1. In your current condition, can you handle that scenario? Single pilot. And I was like, single pilot? But there's two, no, single pilot. Because if you are the one that's sick, you can make an assessment. But what about if your co-pilot or your captain is the one that's sick and they're flying anyway and now... They're hunched over in V1, boom, bang. Can you handle it? And I was like, wow, that's a pretty steep order. Um, but okay, yeah, of course I can handle it. And he goes, well, if you don't feel like you can because you're not feeling good, you have a headache, whatever, then you want to consider if you're really truly fit because you have to look at the worst case scenario, not the best case scenario. Not that the flight is going to go off without a hitch. It's boring, it's smooth as glass, not a cloud in the sky, and every every single controller gives you a shortcut you have to look at the worst case scenario. Um, so that's always been kind of in the back of my mind. Can I get it? Can I get it done? Worst case scenario, V1 cut where my pilots, my co-pilots hunched over. Okay. Yeah, I can handle it. So I know it's kind of a, an extreme to talk about, but it's just as a perspective point of view. And thank you, Terry, for sharing that. Uh, can I go on a slight well? tangent on that? And just ask, maybe it's just me. Of course. So I kind of feel like I get a lot of practice on that. Like, how's that? Because am I the only one that feels like absolute crap in the sim after doing all the stuff that they do? And I've got a headache. I, I feel like I'm going to throw up half the time. It has gotten better. And then you're still going out and you're doing V1 cuts even after all this other stuff that you've done. And I feel like absolute crap in the sim. So I feel like I've actually gotten kind of some practice at that. Maybe not so much the single pilot aspect. Does anyone else get sick in the sim? Well, yeah, I mean, it plays a, a toll on your senses because it's using because your equilibrium. Of the fake, yeah, I, I because in, in all every it still happens now, and I do not. I hate those things. Yeah, because they make me feel like the sensory is it's just not right. Yeah, and then you do a V one cut, and I have a headache, and I have nausea. Well, that's why <laughs> it's like after an everyday this, occurrence, a recurrent during the debrief. And for any of you that have experienced this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't eventually you will you're in the simulator you're on day three of the sims you're doing your maneuvers validation you're doing your v1 cuts you're doing your single engine approaches and all that stuff your single engine go arounds and you come out of the sim and it's bang 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 and you do it all and you do it you do it within your what they used to call practical test standard whatever they call it now you do everything you're in the rails you pass the the check airman says great job you guys did a great job let's go into the debrief 
And in the, the six or seven minutes it takes you to go get a drink of water, go to the bathroom, and then come into the debrief classroom. You're, yeah, thank you, Terry. You're just sitting there like a zombie, like... Uh, you look at each other, you and your sim partner. Uh, and then they go, okay, well, great job. You did this, this, and this. And you're like... Uh, and you're like, okay, so here's some notes for you. you this, there's, there's zero retention there. You're just... You're, exa- you're mentally exhausted because you've been... A hair trigger, tip of the spear, laser focused. You've had the blinders on. You're focused on what's happening, and you've used every ounce of energy, mentally and physically, to make sure that you stay within a standard to handle the most unrealistic expectation of what would happen in an airplane. Unless you're, I mean, even Sully's miracle flight, they didn't have that much going on. I mean, they had, you know, the bird strike, the dual engine failure. They did a good job. They started the APU and they ditched the airplane. Did they do a single engine go around with a V1 cut with a, a approach to minimums on a, a non-managed, non-ILS approach, single engine to a go around because there was a fuel truck on the runway and the, the instructor says it's a fuel truck on the runway go around? No, they didn't do all that shit. They just handled one emergency and they did a great job. Don't get me wrong. I'm not critiquing them at all. But what I'm saying is it's an unrealistic expectation for us to handle every single emergency. Roger, what you said is absolutely accurate. You come out of there, you're a brain, your brain is mush. In the debrief, you're never going to remember anything. That's why I always take notes. And, I, and sometimes I look at my notes and I go, I don't know what the freak I was writing there because I have no idea. Um, I, I feel like now everything's just so cramped into a three or four hour sim period. Yeah. Like everything's, you know, they don't want, they don't want to you spend extra couple days in the sim because everything's about the cost, right? It's all about money. Well, they don't have the staffing or but, the simulators. Uh, and now I got recurrent correct. coming up. Yep. And I'm, and I just found out that if you're in LA, they no longer send you to Dallas for recurrent. They send you to Phoenix because they, they just don't have the, the staff, the staffing and the, and the sim availability. So now they've reopened the Phoenix. former Phoenix, uh, yeah, training facility. So I guess I'll be going to Phoenix for my recurrent, which is next month. So, well, I mean, you know, that uh, short hop over there from LA and. Yeah. No, it'll be know, fun. It, I look uh, forward to it to get my brains bashed I had, in. <laughs> I had CQ earlier this month. And uh, yeah, it was, it was exactly as you described. You know, the first session, the first day was like a, <clears throat> a warm up session. But then. Uh, you know, it was still, they were still throwing stuff at us, you know, it was still had some trained to proficiency type maneuvers. So at the end of it, you know, you're just like, uh, and then you got to go in the next day and actually do the, uh, the evaluated part of it. And at the end of that, you know, head to the airport and go get on a plane. And, and I, I slept on that flight home because oh, yeah. it, it really does take it out of you. Yeah, my my favorite things when the instructors, you know, at the end of the debrief, hey, you, you remember on this maneuver, you, you forgot to say this, or you did this a little quirky, and you're like, what, what? That was like three hours ago. <laughs> Just don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, you ram dumped that information. Your yep. your CPU yep. has been processing. That was three at high hours speed. and eight approaches ago, man. <laughs> eight five <Yeah>. engine failures. <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about <laughs> now? Now, Terry, you did mention uh, your recurrent. Let's talk about that a little bit and move on to you. You're you're flying at Transglobal. You've been doing a great job on the seven three, and you just did a recurrent, and you found out recently that you're changing equipment. What's going on? Yes, sir. So um, I uh, 
You know, I've I've always liked the uh, the bigger airplanes, the wide bodies, and uh, you know, one one in particular. I've always I've always had a, a I don't want to say fascination, but I've always loved the seven fifty seven. So uh, it was my goal to get on that airplane uh, at some point, and uh, I figured, you know, we had we had a, a vacancy bid open up. Uh, we've had multiple because we have multiple unfilled captain vacancies, but you know, that that's a different story. But anyway, they, they've, uh, they opened that up and I figured, Oh, what the hell I'll, I'll throw my name in the ring and you know, maybe I'll get it. Maybe I won't. But, uh, I didn't, I didn't expect, uh, that, uh, because I'm on the seven three and that's the bulk of our fleet. I figured that I would be on uh, that through the summer. Um, and then lo and behold, I got the award, uh, on the most recent vacancy bid. And then, you know, add, add further surprise to it. Uh, I go to training in, uh, mid June. Wow. So quick. Yeah. So I'll be on the, uh, I'll go to training for the seven, five, seven, six, uh, for about, I think it's about five weeks, um, Mm -hmm. mid June through mid July. And then, uh, go try that fleet out. Is that going to be a, a Denver training uh, facility? It'll or? be uh, training in Denver, and then uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows where I'll be for OE? Because uh, they, I mean, it's just dependent on the uh, LCAs and where they are. But right. uh, yeah, yeah, LCA meaning a line check airman. Line check airman. Yeah. How many seven five seven sixes do you guys have left? Because that, that's kind of a die. That's a dying airframe in it across the you know. Uh, we still have quite a few, still really? have quite a few. Yeah. It's, you know, the, so the 737 fleet could be its own airline. I mean, there, there's yeah, got four, over 400 of them. Um, and then the other half of the airline is everything else. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's still quite a few. Yeah. Both, I think this- uh, both Delta and United hadn't quite refleeted yet. It's in that process. I was going to say, isn't it? Because I think a lot of those newer, the NG73s are replacing the 75s. I, I think, I, admittedly, I do not keep try to keep up with this very often. And I don't know if America, does American have any 75s or 76s left? I believe no. American parked all of their 7576 fleet during the okay. pandemic. Yeah. That's kind of what yeah, I they, thought because I haven't seen any of those. They parked uh, 7576, 330 in the 190s. The uh, the Neo, the XLRs are supposed to replace the 75. I don't yep. think it will, as a uh, performance standpoint, I don't think it will do what the 75. Well, it's hard to do capable. what the 75 right. does from a performance um, standpoint. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the 76 is uh, the 78 to 76 replacement. And I don't, then Delta, I think they got, the they have some seven fives left, I think. Right. Right. Now. Actually- yeah. They, they have the, uh, the refleeting with the three, th- uh, three thirty Neos and the three fifty uh, yeah. coming out. Yeah. For, for us, the, uh, the seven fives will eventually be replaced by the, uh, uh, I believe it's a three twenty one XLR. But uh, for now, you know, and it's kind of funny because the the seven thirty seven nine hundred has uh, as many seats as the seven five two hundred. Yep. Um, so you know, like like last night, I was in a in a Max nine, and uh, you know, flying five hour legs, coast to coast, transcons, right. whatever. Uh, 
Uh, I've done a lot of that. In fact, this whole trip has been one leg every day, but it's been, you know, back and forth across the country every day. So, yeah. um, but yeah, this, the seven, five, uh, seven, six, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's, it's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, once, uh, once those fleets start to go away, then maybe I'll look at something else. Now the interesting, yeah, you know, you'll have the experience and have, I mean, especially for you who, you know, you, you want to fly a seven, five and you'll always have that now. Yeah. Cause I don't think a lot of people will, I mean, in the next 10 years, I don't think any of those will be left flying right. at least airline. I'm sure they'll be around for cargo. Yeah. And that, that was my goal. I wanted to get on it before they went away. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, an, congrats. an amazing thing. Um, now I was looking at uh, the airlinepilotcentral.com website uh, and I was looking for Transglobal. I didn't find it, but I found a similar uh, company. And in that similar company, uh, they've got some pretty impressive aircraft order numbers. Uh, just briefly, 45 uh, Airbus 350-900 aircraft are on order. Deliveries start in the year 2027. The current orders are over 500 new narrow body aircraft they they received 40 in 2022 138 will be received in 2023 and 350 in 2024 350 new airplanes at this uh, this sister company of transglobal 50 airbus a321 xlrs they're on order deliveries start in 2024 70 airbus 321 neos aircraft orders have already started deliveries started in 2023 33 boeing 737 max 9s 50 boeing 737 max 8s and 150 737 max 10s are on order and those all have already started and uh then the exciting part what i'm really looking forward to and we've covered this on the show 15 boom aircraft are on order plus 35 options and they're going to start in the year 2029 if you don't know what a boom aircraft is look it up and this was shocking i saw this and i and i just don't see how it's sustainable but maybe it will be a hundred es19 electric aircraft are on order to take flight in the year 2026 have you heard did the company give you any kind of information on this electric airplanes the the only thing i i know about that is that uh as an investment that the company made and i think the hope is like local short hops like maybe you know air taxi type stuff from new york city to oh, okay. you know, the airports or something like that that that's oh. what i that's what i uh thought it was about but you know it could be something else i don't know now could it be possible because i understand one of the companies this electric uh, aircraft companies was saying it's a single pilot operation um and it's like you said uh air like, almost like an air taxi or uh, uber by by air electric short hops is it possible that they're trying to get rid of or improve upon the regional feed so that when as that sector of the industry kind of is collapses on itself because of a lack of ability of hiring and retaining pilots that they'll replace this with the short hop single engine stuff is that possible i very well could be with uh not only the pilot shortage but like you said tony the uh, i think the regional stuff starting to uh implode on itself yeah, and paying for, pilots hundreds of thousands of dollars to come fly a regional airplane it just is not sustainable. So it's not correct. No. Yep, you yeah. can't pay uh, five hundred five thousand in a course of three years to fly a seventy six seat airplane. It just you, you can't do it long term. Yeah, 
Well, well, anyway, congratulations, Terry. Thank you, um, Kyle, as well, for, for your input. I know, Kyle, you said you, you've got to go here. Yep, got to go. Baby and uh, wife's calling. Okay. And uh, yeah, got to get going. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on. I'm so happy that you were able to join us today. I look forward to having you join us again here in the near future. It's always good to hear your input and, and what you've been up to in your journey. Me too. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, as uh, these house projects come to an end, I'll should be having more time going forward and and uh, wanting to keep trying to join you guys when you guys come at me. They're out flying or uh, most time I'm, I'm out flying on the road. So, yeah. uh, but uh, I keep uh, keep checking in when you guys are having it and um, enjoy uh, coming and talking to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. We'll see you. See you. you. Bye-bye. So, and then there were three. Now, Roger, you have been so patiently listening to us drone on and on about our schedules, about our training, about diverting. Now, what I found interesting, and Roger... It's always a pleasure to have you on, uh, on the show. Your your input is yeah. so welcomed because you give us a perspective that helps keep us grounded. Um, you had some training that recently you were in, some recurrent training. And your training is different than airline training because with airline training, it's a self-sustained facility. You're at, you're at their facility at whatever airline you're at and you know their scheduling department. You're taken care of. All you got to do is show up with your kit bag, ready to go, right? But for you, you have to hire out the training, right? You're going to a facility that you've paid to get this recurrent training done. And how did you end up only completing half? You know, it's so, it's, I was going to say it's so funny. It's not really funny. It's so much interesting. The, how different just everything at my operation is and and really not my operation but from a 91 is from from you guys like you guys come on and it's scheduling and edict times which we have edicts from time to time but that's not something we deal with very often because we go to smaller airports but you guys you know it's scheduling edict times and weather and diverting and all that stuff like and and we've said it multiple times before is like then these are the least of my problems some of which i don't really actually deal with a whole lot of them but the stuff that I do is the operational side before I even sh- leave my house for the airport. And the, and the training aspect is just kind of one of those things. Like, yeah, you guys literally just show up. You know, the airline says this is when your recurrent is. It is in-house training. You go to wherever your mothership is, whether that's, you know, Houston, Denver, Dallas, um, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to contract out for it. Um, so that's what we did. We have a typically for part 91, it's a four day recurrent course for just about every aircraft type. The Gulfstream is what I just did. I have to do the Falcon, the Dassault Falcon here in a couple months as well. Um, they're both four days. I just had my Gulfstream recurrent and in those staffing issues that people talk about in the airline industry and in the hotel industry and every other industry that you can probably fill in um, is the same thing. And that's kind of what bit us. Um, We showed up for recurrent last Friday. 
we had ground school for two days. It was two day ground school and two days of sim. And there was kind of rumblings from the very beginning. Um, you know, and I won't get into the specifics of it, but basically there were rumblings from the beginning because one of the only two guys that did the quote unquote check rides was sick. Uh-huh. And uh, apparently he was sick. He was pretty sick. Well, I'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, there's some concern for him. And so I, you know, I don't know him, but I wish him the best, but, yeah. um, and we went to day one to ground school and day two of ground school. And well, your schedule will probably change. And we woke up the next day, which was Monday morning, just Sunday morning, I guess. Sunday morning, just a couple of days ago. And sure enough, we got a phone call. Hey, we are not going to be able to do your last sim tomorrow. Like, we don't know what we're going to do, but we're just, we're not going to be able to do it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when at that point, what do you say? I mean, if you don't have an instructor, right, you can't do it. But then there's a cascade of events that kind of took place from an operational standpoint because you've got now two pilots that were supposed to be finishing up with training yesterday. Um, there are four airplanes that need to get staffed. Now I need to then have two pilots go back to training because you have to complete the recurrent mm-hmm. uh, before you're you know, no longer current in the airframe. Well, how does that affect the rest of the schedule? Because now we have to staff those flights that these other pilots were supposed to work, but we don't know when yet. And so, you know, we ended up, I was actually in Vegas for this training. We elected to drive back because of course this was Sunday where everybody is departing Vegas and there was not a flight to be found with seats on it until nine hours later. We just elected to drive and, um, and got home and then yesterday it was basically you know picking up the pieces and making phone calls and juggling the schedule and this is when we can do it because you know I'm going to Grenada in a couple in a couple weeks for a week and a half I need to get the training done by the end of this month because that's you know I'm now in my grace because my base month is April so I'm now in my uh, grace yeah which is fine but I cannot continue into June Right. So I need to I need to fly this trip that's already scheduled for the owner, but I have to get training done. I'm going to the Kentucky Derby here on Thursday of this week, so I can't do this weekend. And then there's other flights that are in the future <laughs> with that week and a half trip to Grenada plus a couple of other things sprinkled in there and so just kind of putting all that stuff together. But that's that's the interesting part is all this stuff that I, you know, that I for lack of better terms have to stress over. Mm-hmm. Like you guys don't ever think that you just literally show up at the gate. You know, you don't even have carry around a 50 pound flight kit anymore because it's all electronic. You just show up at the gate. They give you this paper and you walk down the jetway and you sit down and go, well, do I have a scratch in my throat here? Can I make this flight? (laughs) (laughs) I guess I'm okay. Uh, I think I have uh, that part in jest. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't have anal glaucoma very often. That's when you call your schedule and go, I just can't see my ass coming to work today. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's kind of the funny part of it is that all this stuff that, that the cascade of events, because everything is outside and has to be done operationally by ourselves, who are also the pilots um, versus the stuff that you guys, yeah. the stuff that you guys have. It's just a very different, it's a completely it's just very different, different industry period. I mean, it's all aviation, and once you got wings on your on your shirt, you're good. You're golden. You're one of us. 
but it's just so very different. The logistics that you have to organize are very real, completely and unpredictable. You know exactly, and you're juggling. You're. It seems to me that you're juggling, you know, sticks on fire, chainsaws, and knives constantly. Yeah, with <laughs> without any safety net. Yeah, you know that safety net being reserve pilots or however you know however you want to to refer to it as because you we don't have we have if you have four airplanes how many pilots does it take to have to fly each airplane well that's two so four times two that's eight guess how many pilots we have we have eight there is no wiggle room oh yeah and then you know each pilot has this that and the other that you know they have personal lives and we try to respect that but at some point something has to give and right depending on what's going on more things have to give than other times but yeah um so that's kind of was the that was my my short recurrent story of i'm in the middle of recurrent and i think i got it scheduled for the end of next week okay well you know thank you for sharing that with us because it does put us uh, you know in at least with some kind of perspective of what's going on there um you know i've known you now we've started our careers at the same time i've known you forever and I've always appreciated the path you've taken and it's a path less traveled, less traveled. And there's a reason for that because most people don't want to put up with that. And, and, you know, granted you're, you're doing it because you have a passion for the logistics side of it, the responsibility of it, the leadership that you have, you're just, it's ingrained in you. And you know, the, the pay is not bad either. Let's not mince words here. The pay is not bad. You're getting paid handsomely to to handle all this and have your phone ring and have to deal with the logistics side of it. And some people will say, uh, yeah, that's not for me. And other people like yourself uh, will thrive. I think, I think I'd be a good fit in the industry. I mean, I've, I've held positions of leadership. Many, you would be many for, times for the reasons that you were just talking about. And, and, but I'd be lying if I didn't, even I will admit, okay, and I can't believe I'm actually do this on the record here, but I would be lying if I didn't sit here and, it, and think about what it would be like to fly at an airline and not have to deal with some of these headaches. And yes, while I am paid fairly well from, from a, the, an honest to God standpoint, when you guys make or when anybody makes left seat at a legacy airline whether it's any of those big three and and even you know southwest and jet blue will make more than me because the benefits and the re and the, the retirement especially um and you just need to show up now at the same time the flying that i do i you know, i do it's more fun oh yeah you know it, oh, i yeah. go frequently i'm going to grenada right i mean Terry's kind of, you know, getting as close as to what I do. He, but he still flies one leg on day one, one leg on day two, one leg on day three. I fly one leg on day one. And then I sit in Grenada for days two through nine. And then the last day coming back is actually going to be a pain You're in the ass. Getting a lot of trouble. St- a lot of stops, <laughs> but I don't do anything in Grenada. I, you know, I'm going to Europe in a month and a half or so. Well, you're on the phone. I, there's some flying within there. Um, but again, where I go to Vienna for, I don't know, five days. Yeah. It's a trade-off, and just, right? And it's hard to kind of get it's well, it's impossible because I haven't actually done it to actually make that leap. But 
it's they're just different operations. And like I said, the same thing with Alex, you know, everybody has to do their personal, you know, decide what they want to do from a personal standpoint and what works best for them. Yes, I kind of handle it well, I guess. And just like you probably would, but that still weighs on you over the course of time, uh, constantly having to adjust and constantly having those knives and um, flaming swords, you know, in, in the air. Sometimes it hurts. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I so I, the the type of flying that I did in the army, flying the uh, the citation was was very much like a corporate style operation. Um, you know, we were going to random little airports all over the place. We I, I guess we were probably more closer to a, a one thirty five charter on demand type thing, but. You know, same same style of flying. We did all of our own coordination. We did all of our own flight plans. We did all of that stuff. Um, and you know, I I had uh, as I was getting out of the army, I had some friends who who fly for those types of operations. Uh, who you know said, "Hey, come on out, meet the team. You know, maybe you might be a good fit out here, uh, and and you wouldn't have to move. And you know, we can." you know, see your experience, you, you, you probably be a good fit for the team. And, uh, you know, after for me personally, you know, it's, it's a personal decision, right? For me personally, after 24 years of being in leadership roles and, and, you know, being, doing that types of that type of coordination and, and doing all that work. I'm like, you know what I, I want, I don't want to say it's easy street, but it's a lot, it's simpler. You know, I, like you said, Roger, I show up to the airplane, I got everything on my iPad and I you, go, you've given up the headaches and you just yes. show up to the airplane. And because yeah. it does kind of like what you were just saying, I think for you, it does weigh on you over the course of time. I, that's the, that's the only way I can put it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Get in while you can, Roger. <laughs> I want to fly I, with now you. I just kind of think it's too late. I want to fly with you. Come on. I, I was just thinking, so I, I don't know. This is what I took away from what Terry said, uh, you know, 10 minutes ago is like something about some unfilled captain vacancies. If you, Terry, I, don't, I'll, I will open this up to, to either one of you at your respective airlines. If you guys can figure out if there is an unfilled captain vacancy at your airline, I will sit on reserve. As a captain? Yeah, as a captain. Uh, With so the street, captain pay. You want to be street captain? At a legacy airline, yes. At a legacy airline. If either one of you at your airlines can figure that out, okay, I will be there. You're just being ridiculous. Now, I am not going to sit here and hold my breath. (laughs) You're being ridiculous. (laughs) I'm just just saying. You could go to uh, uh, one of these wholly owned legacies and make 500,000 your first. I mean, I know it's, you know, a little bit of a pay cut for you, but, you know, you could do it. Okay, <laughs> pay cut to be at the bottom of the seniority. If I'm going to be at the bottom of the seniority list, I'm going to do it at a legacy airline, big three. Okay, well, Delta, it could American, happen. United, it could either one. It, and if you know CEO heard- of said companies, I I I will fully entertain any offer. As a direct entry captain, you yeah. heard it here, folks. Uh, first, folks, <laughs> Roger will will allow a uh, direct entry captain spot at a mainline legacy carrier. Okay. But where I'm at it. in my life right now, yeah, that's what it's going to take to make to make the jump. Yeah, over. it's got to be big. It's got to be big. Yeah, no, I think where you're at, Roger, on and on all in all honesty, uh, you're in a good spot. You've you are really fantastic at what you do. Um, your organization would be absolutely batshit crazy to 
to have you not be happy and have you leave because I don't think they could replace you easily. It's not what you do is very unique and it takes years of practice to be able to coordinate how you coordinate, get it done and fill all the shoes you do. Uh, that's why I'm always giving you a hard time because I say you're doing five jobs. You should be getting paid five times the amount. But I mean, it doesn't work like that. And I think that Terry could could also would attest to this is that it does take a certain type of person with a certain skill set as well. You just couldn't go. I mean, if you just want to use the airlines, you just couldn't pick any pilot at at any airline and put them and have them do what I do. And even even the pilots at my operation, not maybe any of them could do what I do because it, it, it's a skill set. And that's not that's not bagging on any pilot. We all have different gifts, um, you know, organization, seeing the big picture, um, you know, even my boss, I, you know, that I do the things that I do because it's something that I can see. And it's not because I want to, it's just, I can see the Tetris game in my head with the, you know, whether that's just in my head or if I'm looking at the schedule and all the moving pieces that are not really on the schedule, I can see it, but it takes a certain type of person. Right. And I have no idea why I'm that way. I, but, you know, at some point, do, would I say that I want to do it? Well, not necessarily, but if I don't, somebody else does. And if they can't put it together with efficiency, it's going to get ugly for everybody because then everybody's kind of running a, a roughshod schedule all over the place and nobody's happy. And so I think right. that that's kind of why I guess that's why I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're lucky to have. How close were you, Terry? I mean, from a, I mean, just just from that unfilled captain position, like, are you close to the seven five captain? And they only asked that because apparently there was some ridiculously junior Delta guy. This yeah, is from so, another one of my friends so over there that got Delta a seven guys five are getting captain at six months. Um, for us, we've got a uh, contractual uh, okay. limitation. We can't uh, take captain until one year. But we've got a lot of people who are bidding captain one at one year. We have over six hundred unfilled captain vacancies wow. because people are not they, because, they don't want to leave the seniority the FO for the right. crappy. They don't they don't want to upgrade work. because the reserve rules suck. Yeah. yeah, I guess that this guy I know a guy at Delta that I play tennis with from time to time. He's probably coming up on a year. He said a guy a two year. He was like twenty. I want to say he was twenty six years old in his second year. Got a seven five seven six position. He showed me the kid's picture. I'm not sure he had finished puberty left or puberty yet. <laughs> I was like, people are going to yeah. be getting on that plane and turning around, yep. turning around. Yep. No, I know, I know. It's, and you see them. Uh, you look at their uniforms. And you're like, wait a minute, that's a Delta uniform. The guy's like twenty something years old. How? You know. But he's hey, in the left seat. I'm, of your I'm seven six. I'm applauding them because they're going to have a, a great career. Oh yeah. go ahead, Donnie. Yeah. So uh, before Terry, before you go, I know you got a van also here pretty soon. Um, what I wanted to share with everyone was some news that has been making headlines since yesterday. The uh, folks over at American Airlines, uh, the pilot group, uh, was picketing yesterday all over the country at every base. Pilots were picketing over a strike vote that was passed. It was passed. Now, what does that mean? That just means the the union took a vote. The pilots had 30 days to vote and they voted, do you think we should strike? 
And the reason they want to strike is because we've been flying with the expired contract. We've talked about it here on the show for Legacy Airlines. Um, and a bunch of airlines out there are dealing with contract negotiations. Uh, I know Delta, they finally uh, signed something. But Southwest, Alaska, American, United, everyone had some kind of, even FedEx, uh, had some kind of contract negotiations going on. Well, those uh, good folks over at American, they voted. And we were thinking, let's see how many people actually vote. Because pilots, sometimes they just kind of look out for themselves and, you know, they won't participate. Well, 96% of the entire pilot group, that's over 15,000 pilots, voted. And they voted in this, um, this question, should we strike or not? Of those that voted, 99% voted, yes, we should strike. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to strike tomorrow. Don't worry, folks. If you're not in the industry and you don't understand how it works, your flights are they're still there. They're going to go out on time or as best they can. The pilots aren't going to walk off the job. They can't legally, okay? But they can go out and pick it. And I found a, a news report that explains it nicely. I'll just play a little audio from that, and then we'll continue on. This is from ABC6 about the Philadelphia International Airport, the hub for American Airlines and the pilot strike. American Airlines pilots are making a statement as they are now arguing for a new contract. Hundreds of them picketed across the country, including dozens right here at Philadelphia International Airport today. This in support of this potential strike. Action News is Walter Perez live for us now at Philadelphia International Airport with the demands and also reaction from American Airlines. Walter. That's right, Shari. Federal law prohibits airline pilots from simply walking off the job, but today they did what they felt they could do to express their frustration over the lack of an agreement on a new contract. What you see here is not a strike, but rather a message to their employer. These off-duty American Airlines pilots say that if their work conditions do not improve, they will eventually walk off the job. We had 96% uh, voting. Uh, with 99.15% uh, said yes to a strike authorization vote. So that uh, starts the process of a strike if necessary when we're legally allowed to. Captain Steven Pacheco is an American Airlines pilot and a representative of the Allied Pilots Association. He says there is a handful of issues they seek to resolve, but the primary issue is scheduling. The pilots we spoke with today say their weekly schedules lack predictability and result in pilots working unusually long shifts on a regular basis. The result is flying fatigued and a work-life balance that is off-kilter at best, non-existent at worst. Negotiations first started in January of 2019, but then delayed by COVID. Regardless, these pilots say that even with the pandemic taken into account, it's been more than four years now and still no new contract. American Airlines sent Action News a statement reading in part, we remain confident that an agreement for our pilots is within reach and can be finalized quickly. The finish line is in sight. Captain Pacheco says he wishes he shared in their enthusiasm. We've been working for a new contract for four, four years. Uh, we're close, but not close enough, and we're waiting to, uh, you know, to let management know, hey, we're ready to, uh, to do the ultimate strike thing if we need to. Now, with all the legal hoops that airline pilots have to jump through to legally go on strike, we're told it would take about a year before American Airlines pilots would be allowed to walk off the job. So at this point, it seems that a strike before this coming summer seems unlikely. Reporting live from Philadelphia International Airport, Walter Perez, Channel 6 Action News. 
So that was a nice report because it kind of outlined the, you know, the process, how long it takes, what happens. So don't worry, folks. Your flights will probably still go out as normal. Now, you know, Terry, did, before you go, did you have any thoughts on the effort that these American Airlines pilots are making about uh, going on strike or having the strike vote, I should say? I have to be careful how I speak here once again as a probationary pilot. But, uh, uh, you know... I, there are several airlines who are uh, going through this process right now. Americans won. I know that the uh, the folks at Southwest, I believe their their vote has just opened up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I have several buddies at Southwest who, you know, they all changed their Facebook profile pictures to uh, I voted yes for a strike. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know that uh, United is going through contract negotiations right now. Um, the, the only ones I think that got contract Delta and uh, Alaska were the most recent to get contracts, but everybody else is, is in negotiations. And, uh, you know, right, right now with the pilot shortage and, uh, you know, different conditions, working conditions at different airlines and just the, the travel demand, um, I, I think that the managements are going to have to, you know, figure things out sooner or later if they don't uh, want a significant disruption to their operations. Yeah. Now the question was posed, you know, why can't we just strike? Why can't we just call in sick one day and, and, and give them a message, right? Well, what we wanted to explain is that under the Railway Labor Act, airline employees must participate in a lengthy mediation process expressly designed to force a resolution before they can strike. If the mediation fails, the president may order a 60-day cooling-off period during which airline workers must return to work if he feels a strike would substantially disrupt the national transportation system. This is the President of the United States that's getting involved. If this fails, Congress may force both sides to accept a settlement or may extend the cooling-off period indefinitely. This is what happened to American Airlines pilots back in 1997 when President Clinton ordered the cooling off period of four minutes after they went on strike. So they went on strike. Four minutes later, the president said, get back to work. They were also forced to accept a settlement. The Railway Labor Act outlaws sick outs because they're just an end run around the purpose of the law which is to prevent the transportation strikes, according to a federal judge that threatening to fine the pilots or the pilots union for the encouraged sick outs when those occur, the union usually will back down. So that's why we can't strike as transportation employees. We're essential services for the, for the country, for the goods to get around the country, for people to get around the country, for businesses to stay active. Um, so we can't just go on strike. Pilots uh, can't do it. I, I've got to run, but uh, I wanted to uh, point out that the railroad workers just in the last, uh, what was it, six months or so, mm-hmm. uh, just went through this process where Congress got involved and, and basically they went back to work and they didn't get everything they wanted. So uh, Railway Labor Act is real. Yep, it is real. Well, Terry, I know you got to go. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you. We look forward to hearing more about your journey and your upcoming training event. So, yeah, yeah. I'll keep everybody posted. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks again. Have a good trip. We'll see you. Bye. And there were two.
Well, Roger, before we kind of wrap it up today, um, you know, the question remains, you know, is there a pilot shortage in the country? And you're kind of seeing it because it's kind of hard to find, you know, qualified applicants to to help run your operation. The pilots are out there, but, you know, under contract, it's kind of hard to find them. In the airline industry, it's the same. That's why we're seeing $500 plus thousand dollars um, that that PSA has been one of the wholly owns for, uh, I believe it's American Airlines, the PSA, Piedmont, and Envoy. And they've been advertising, um, you know, hey, come work for us and get all these bonuses. 505000 as Kyle mentioned, 505000 over the first three years. Well, why? Because they're trying to steal pilots from other regional airlines or corporate airlines or private uh, ex- corporate jet flying. Um, to go, hey, you can look how much you get paid if you come over to us, right? So they're quali- they're trying to steal qualified applicants from other aspects of our revenues, right? This this is not targeted for some Cessna pilot to go, hey, oh, I think I want to go work for them. I mean, it does help to get them over there, but do they have enough airplanes? If there's a mass influx tomorrow, they do. As a matter of fact, uh, an article from Simply Flying, I'll put a link in the show notes. The America's uh, airline regional network is still suffering from a supply and demand imbalance. And the truth is the shortage of pilots from the pandemic cutbacks and the retirements forced uh, that several U.S. carriers would ground their smaller regional fleets last year. And even among the rebounds, summer passenger demand is really high. So American Airlines has been suffering from the supply and demand imbalance is what they're calling it, which saw the carrier ground approximately 150 regional jets in the second quarter of last year. These regional jets were smaller regional jets between 50 and 76-seater planes belonging to American Airlines' regional network, the American Eagle, which consists of six regional carriers like Envoy Air, Piedmont Airlines, PSA, Air Wisconsin, Republic Airways, and SkyWest Airlines. The optimistic outlook was that the grounding would have worn off by this year, and most of the jets would be flying again. But nearly five months into this year, and it's safe to assume that this optimistic outlook has yet to fully occur, as approximately 121 aircraft across the six regional carriers are still grounded. Looking at the bright side of the three main wholly owned uh, airline subsidiaries like Envoy, Piedmont, and PSA, an estimated 55 aircraft are still being stored among them. So... Why not just get them in the air? Well, they don't have the staffing, a.k.a. they're offering exorbitant bonus amounts to get them back so they can get those airplanes back in the air. And that's why over at the legacy carriers like United, American, and Delta, they're starting to see city pairings in their schedules that were traditionally smaller airports that were being serviced by regional jets. And we've talked about that here on the show, that in the recent months, I have flown into places like Sacramento, Bakersfield, Santa Barbara. These are all airports that traditionally were serviced by regional airlines. And now we're picking up the slack where we can by flying a narrow body into these airports. So how is this going to affect the future? We don't know. But if you're in a position to get your training done and get out there and get a job with a regional airline and pay off those student loans with that money, don't go out and buy a big, you know, a Ferrari or anything or a Breitling watch that's 10 grand to wear on your wrist so somebody can go, oh, I like that. Give it to me. Um, Instead, (laughs) pay off those student loans and get out there while you can 
because this industry, I don't think will sustain itself under its current structure. I think that there is a pilot shortage, but you're only really seeing it at the lower yes. tiers. You, you know, the, the lower tiers are your your regional airlines and they're trying to staff that and they're trying to throw money at it. I don't, I you know, really what this stems down to is the amount of money and the increase in the cost to get your pilot certificate coupled with the fact that it was, I mean, it would like if you were paid, if if new hire FOs at a regional airline were paid the same of what you and I made, oh, yeah. even just you know fifteen fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. they couldn't live. No. We barely lived. I mean, you could argue I can. I'm sure. I'm sure you could too. We could argue that we couldn't live. It was you know some accounting gimmicks that that allowed us to survive. You know, I don't even know where I want to go with this. Something is going to need to change. The cost of doing flight training is sizable. There, that's, and it doesn't make sense for people to come into this industry when you are going to get paid the way that you, that you were not too long ago because in the grand scheme of things it really wasn't that long ago people i i would i would argue that there were a lot of people that did not go into flying simply because they could not afford it yeah it did not make economical sense no one would give them a loan in order to go through flight training because they weren't because if i'm giving you a loan and i know that you couldn't afford to both buy food for your family and pay me back that's a bad loan for me to make to you right as a lender right and I don't think that that's really we've ever kind of really cleared through that. There are other people that, from an airline standpoint, myself is a good example of this because the airline structure was so bad. I got out. Yeah, you know, Terry was talking about captain vacancies. I mean, there are vacancies all over, even at the upper echelons. Now they can pull up people, except then that would create a large void at their at their feed at their feeders. Mm-hmm. You know, I. In the end, something will need to get done. It it will be money related. Um, you know, I think that the amount of personally, I think that the amount of money that that pilots are, are you know kind of starting to get paid now is is getting right sized and and even to some degree is you know maybe a little more <laughs> than than some people need to be making. But that's a that's a different discussion. Work rules, I know, are a big issue for for a lot of the regionals and even some of the legacy airlines um you know i think you know united and and american i think are are fighting over work rules more than they are for pay as i've understood it from an outsider's perspective and uneducated um but the reality of the situation is that we've just made it such that there was a large a decade probably of time in which case it didn't really make sense to become a pilot and now is when that those those times are really catching up to us i mean we you know and that's just because of the way that things happened back in 2008 and you know i i refer to it as a trifecta of which you know really hurt me and um you know having graduated and getting hired at express jet back then and you have the age 65 
mm-hmm. which for the lower, you know, that's great. That helps the upper end guys. But what did that do to the low end guys? Yeah, like stagnation. that screwed my career. Yeah, five year lot. delay. Mm-hmm. It's a five year delay, and and those guys that were sixty at the time never flew the regional model that we had. I mean, they didn't understand one iota of what it was like to be a regional airline pilot at all. You go talk to a seven four guy at United back then; they had no idea. We were just right. kind of these cockroach airplanes flying around on the ramp, or you know, driving around on the ramp. Mm-hmm. Then you had the oil crisis. Then you had the economic crisis, and those three things hit, and it just destroyed the pilot industry, along with a lot of others, but this is an aviation podcast. Sure. And the ramifications of all that are still being worked through because of around a decade of which there just were less people learning to fly. And then COVID came in and completely screwed things up all over again, and we let you know thousands of pilots go to get them off the payrolls except I think it turned around a whole lot faster than anyone would have expected. So now we're trying to fly the airplanes because we live in a capitalistic society and management's like, well, we got to fly these airplanes, Mm -hmm. but we don't have the pilots to do it. But the pilots are now all gone because we paid them to leave. Yeah. And we don't have anyone to backfill because of things that happened 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Like, how do you fix that? You you, this the one thing about a pilot is it, it takes time. For you to gain the the qualifications and to gain the the experience in order to do what a jet pilot does, not because it's hard on a daily basis, but when it does get hard, it gets really hard. Yeah, and the consequences of those are extremely high, and that's why we are paid is for those those moments, even if it's only a couple moments over a forty year career of terror. When you're talking about the lives of hundreds of people. That makes, you know, that's yeah. the headline on the national news. Right. I don't know how you fix it, but it, cause it's not quick. It's not, it's not fast. There's no way. There's just no way. Right. It's a profession. And, and that's what I've been trying to demonstrate to all the younger pilots that I have spoken with over the years and mentored over the years. It's that this is not a job. And I dare say it's not even a career. It is a profession. It is, you are, you can't just go tomorrow and go, I'm going to be a lawyer or I'm going to be a a surgeon. You just, you can't. It takes years and years and years of study, of practice, of, of trial and error, of making mistakes and keeping it going. Because you can't make a mistake in a courtroom because somebody's life will depend on it. You can't make a mistake in surgery, someone's life depends on it. And dare I say, you cannot make a major mistake in an aircraft, especially when both pilots make the same mistake, because everyone's life on that aircraft and their families and their friends and their everything, they're all affected. It's not just your passengers. It's everyone they're past, those passengers are connected to are affected. So what we do is, is just as crucial as what these other professionals do, these other professions. And you can't get that knowledge overnight. That's why you don't go from flying a Cessna 172 to an Airbus unless you work for Spirit. Because it just, it just, it's not safe. There's, the liability is huge. And a lot of people cannot handle that fire hose. That's, that's Niagara Falls of information that you're trying to go from a piston airplane to a narrow body aircraft like an Airbus. 
so the success rate is going to be very small. And even then, what experience do they have to draw upon to be a, a safe operator? So yes, the, Roger, thank you so much for explaining your views on that because you're spot on. This is a systemic issue that started over a decade ago, and we are now seeing the ramifications of not being proactive about it sooner. The management of these corporations and this this industry has traditionally been reactive because at the end of the day, it's all about the bottom line. And if they can hold off on a contract for just a few more years, and if they can hold off on an, you know, an aircraft order or in Southwest, in their case, if they can just hold off on spending millions on automated software that is on with the times, they can save millions. But now look at Southwest. They've had a quarterly loss that was just reported because of all the payouts they had to do from their snafu from the holiday season. They're, they just went down the other day again for a few hours because of their software. The software that they're using is archaic. It's from the 80s. And they never spent the money to upgrade into a more, more modern software. And we all know that when you're dealing with the technology that we have to deal with today to run a major U.S. airline that is in the trillions in terms of the, the expenses that you know, one would have to acquire to run an airline as big as Southwest. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta spend a nickel today. You absolutely do. Because if you're trying to save that nickel today, tomorrow it's going to cost you a dollar. So, you know, the, the, this all could have been prevented, I think. We could have had a lot more smooth transition and recovered from the pandemic a lot better if the systems were put in place all that time ago that would have led to more people getting into this profession. That's the whole point. You look at the numbers that AOPA puts out every year about how many commercial pilot certificates were issued. Back when you and I started, they were in the thousands every year. Thousands of people are getting commercial pilots licensing. And and now it's like in the hundreds. Last I checked, 2021 numbers. It's been a while, but they were like in the hundreds. Like, that's it? In the whole country, that's how many commercial pilot certificates were issued? And you see the ramifications now. We can't hire people. They can't find them. Let's pay them five hundred. Yeah, I mean, some of this you're looking at a little bit of a utopian world. From I mean, kind of blaming management. And we live in a capitalistic society. It is not perfect. No, it's you know arguably the best that the world has come up with, and but it's still capitalistic. And you're looking at this with hindsight, going, okay, well, you know, this is what we could have done or should have done. Airlines by their very nature are cyclical and they're always going to go up and they will always go down. And, and from a management perspective, I would not want to be responsible for running an airline. Would some things be different? Yes. But I also understand, you, you know, the Southwest programming thing, that's a little bit different, but you know, the dragging out of the contract negotiations, I don't, you know, I, I would argue on both sides that both sides are foolish, I guess, for lack of better terms. Well, that's why we have but to the, come to a middle ground and sign something. And the just and right. it's what where is the middle that is what is argued over, right? You know, and I think that eventually what the fix will necessarily be because you can't create job or you can't create you can create the job you cannot create the personnel to fill those jobs, and you're going to need to 
cut things back. I mean, there the the predictions on how many pilots the world over the next 10 to 15 20 years is going to need you can't you're not you're not going to find those people right i don't think maybe you raise ticket prices you i mean supply and demand if you take people out flyers out of the equation you need less airplanes if you need less airplanes you need less pilots the airline itself from a management perspective you're making the same amount of money because you're charging more for the ticket prices because of supply and demand. And in this case, kind of adding a third thing is your personnel issues. You know, is that how what's going to happen? I mean, to some degree, maybe. I mean, we've got all these aircraft orders the world over, but who's going to fly them? You know, I'm sure that, you know, UPS and FedEx are probably spending billions of dollars on, you know, getting planes down to single pilot or nowhere, no pilot airplanes with the technology that we have. You know, that's another argument that that will creep into things in the next decade, I think. You know, I don't think we'll ever have a a pilotless passenger airline. Um, but I'm sure the cargo guys will do it. And then you you need less pilots because we're flying with robots yeah. or with guys on the ground, one guy on the ground. Yeah. But who um, knows what our economy will be in 50 to 100 years? Because I think it's going to take that long. Honestly, I don't think the technology, it's not there now, and I don't think it'll be there in this decade um, for pilotless uh, or autonomous for travel. No, for pilot, for, for autonomous and pilotless, no, I, but you can cut it down by half. Well, that's the I, rumor I do right believe now. that you can get the one of one pilot, and that's really only on the cargo side, I think, in the next, definitely in the one decade. I don't know mm-hmm. where that goes, but, you know, over the course of time, the only way I you know, see knows? one pilot is if we have autonomous flying and there is a safety pilot on board that could fly the plane if the system went down. Because, man, I tell you, there's a two-pilot operation for a reason. I can't tell you how tired we were the other day after that long day and then flying from Abilene, Texas to uh, Dallas, Texas. I mean, it was a pretty quick flight. It was like 20 minutes long. But we were both looking at each other and double checking everything because we were tired at the end of that day. We were tired. I mean, we weren't to the point where we were fatigued and unsafe. We're close. But I mean, it was a really long day. It was a lot that we had to deal with, a lot we had to communicate. And by the time we got into Dallas and then, you know, to not have a hotel ready for us to go, we had to make do all this work ourselves and book our own, basically, or try to. Um, how can a single pilot? I mean... That's a disaster. No, that would be an autonomous thing. You cannot have any, you know, whether it's cargo or passengers flying right. just with one guy. You're basically having a guy that's monitoring, like you said, that in case something happened, that they could fly it. But you are right. assuming at that point that it's an autonomous thing. Yeah. And that is not something that's within the next decade or yeah. even two, especially when you're talking about passengers. But over the course of time, you know, that's how you need less people, I guess. I, yeah. I, but how do you solve the problem today? You don't. You, you have can't. to solve the problem today so that well, they can raise ticket prices because, in my opinion, we have train systems, we have bus systems. You know, it, They may not be the most glorious things in the world, but back in the day, back in the 30s and 40s, that's how you got around this country. You, know, you bought a and ticket and you went. I and- think that that's where, where you, if you look especially at the, because I've made this argument before, the Allegiance, the Spirits, and the Frontiers, the ultra-low-cost carriers those are the ones that I think are in peril because they were able to kind of draw from the regional airline networks from a pay standpoint. And it kind of created the in or the intermediate stepping stone Mm -hmm. to a major carrier where now the regionals have, I mean, 
they're sucking that pool dry because right. there's now not, not really any reason from a pay standpoint to go to a Spirit Airlines because you can make as much, if not more, at a regional and create just a direct path to one of the major carriers. And those are also the airlines that are offering the dirt cheap ticket prices for a different segment of the population. Mm-hmm. And this kind of gets into, you know, an it's income disparity problem. Yeah. But reality still remains that if I want to get that Airbus 320 up into the air, it costs a whole lot of money. And so if you all of a sudden start raising those ticket prices, their business model you know, maybe collapses. And I'm, and I'm just shooting from the hip here. So this is not a prediction in any way. But, but those airlines from a staffing model, okay, now if, if, if those ticket prices then isolate that demographic that hasn't been able to fly until about 10 or 15 years ago when we came up with the ultra low cost carrier. Yeah. Yeah. That those kind of fall apart. Now we've got a lot of, a lot of quote unquote extra pilots that are out there to then come back and backfill into kind of what the original airline model from 50 years ago looked like, you know, where you've only got a whole lot less carriers going on and all the pilots that are out there have a job flying for those few carriers with higher ticket prices. But along with that goes less American, less people worldwide right. are able to fly because that's the, because it costs so much to get an airplane into the air, whether that's fuel or whether that's flight attendants, pilots. Yeah. The profit margins are so slim right now and they have been for decades. So slim for the airlines because it's really, it's a term you hear all the time. It's a race to the bottom. You get these, the ultra low cost carriers are nothing new in my opinion. I mean, Southwest started the whole game being the, hey, we're going to fly domestically and you're going to buy a ticket for whatever it was back in the day. Remember 29.99. Uh, Southwest would have every year they would have like sales and you could buy these tickets like middle seats in the last row but they were still I mean $29.99 or Southwest was all open seating but once they got to a certain you know the seats filled the prices would go up as the seats on the airplane got less and less um, and then you know JetBlue came in, in that model and then we've seen smaller outfits come and go over the years we had TED which is the end of United um, they, they came and went as their low cost carrier. Um, we had uh, Skybus. They came and went in a flash. So many of these places tried to make it work. And it wasn't until Frontier and Spirit came along that the ultra, ultra low cost carrier model actually took place. And Southwest was no longer, they're still a low cost carrier, but they were no longer the ultra low cost carrier. They were now, because they were offering, you know, bags fly free and, and they're offering more premium services and destinations and international destinations. So Southwest started to move up to more of the major airline. Um, and so Spirit and Frontier have now taken the, and, and Allegiant, I think, as well, have taken the, the title of ultra low cost carrier. And yes, they've hurt the model because now everybody's flying. And to, in order to compete, because they're doing so well financially, because they're dealing with margins and quality no i'm sorry they're dealing with margins and quantity over quality so every other legacy carrier has has had to lower their ticket prices and lower their costs and their margins have gotten thinner and thinner and thinner and they go okay well how can we get those margins back up well okay we're gonna make them pay for bags and we're gonna you know pay our employees less or we'll change this station because this station has all topped out employees. So instead of uh, leaving it, we're going to change it to a, say an, an Eagle station. And uh, so that bring in the regional 
uh, ground personnel. So get rid of all the mainline ground personnel. Well, that's going to bring the, you know, because there'll be a bunch of new hires. That'll bring payroll down. Okay, so there goes your margin. And then they go, oh, you know what? Instead of uh, keeping a regional station doing below-wing services, let's contract out to a contracted a blowing service company and that way we don't have to pay for insurance and 401k and medical and, and travel benefits and so we'll pay them to do the services for us and a lot of stations have been doing that and it's been this race to the bottom to be as economical as possible to compete with this ultra low cost carrier and we are no longer like the pan ams of the world we're no longer the twas or the eastern airlines of the world you know we have all done this race to get to the you know the meat and potatoes which is we need to fill every single seat on every single flight every single day but you see i think where that starts but again it's going to take time but where this falls apart i think for those ultra low-cost carriers is the people that are working at those airlines if i am a spirit airline spirit airlines pilot right now maybe i'm in the left seat and i can pick up extra time because they and and make a really good living do i want to leave that airline no, no i don't so that seat is safe but over the course of time with the regional airlines now if i'm a brand new pilot right if i if i'm one of our listeners that's out there right now and i've just started my instrument rating or whatever it is right now is your best career progression going to stop or even go through when I'm just using Spirit Airlines for this example, does it stop or even pass through Spirit Airlines? Probably not. You don't, don't need to. But that takes a... And so that's where that model... Because I can always... I can always look at the beginning of my career. If I'm, like I say, if I'm that guy in the 172 doing my instrument training and I kind of map out the way that I want my career to go, I know that I've got a job at any one of the legacy airlines, United Delta, American Airlines, Southwest, if you want to go there, JetBlue, we can put them there too, along with maybe some others. But I know that my path can go there without ever going to Spirit, and I can make it if as much, if not more money than ever going to Spirit. Who is Spirit Frontier Allegiant going to use to fly their airplanes in five years? Right, right now, I think they're fine, but. What happens in five years? That's right. when I think that that business model starts to fall apart is it's not necessarily right now. It's just because if I'm that new pilot, I don't see a reason to necessarily go there because I can make more money going path B. And that's what or, I've been or, told. Or path A is really. Yeah, I've been <laughs> told that um, that's the that is the primary driving factor of what American did to um to curb the loss and the turnover. It's genius. And they said, hey, 80% of uh, Spirit pilots were coming from regional carriers. They're, they're yep. new hires. And and most of them were coming from one of the wholly owns for American Airlines. And American Airlines said, well, if we pay these guys these $100,000 bonuses, they, won't if they leave. walk in, they, they'll stay. And they'll, and they'll be so close to a flow-through that they'll go, well, I'm going to go to American through a flow-through. So I might as well just stay. And that's and the MEC for Spirit sent out a letter to their membership saying right after that was announced that they were going to give all these you know, $100,000 signing bonuses and $25,000 $25, retention bonuses. They said, hey, our, our hiring pool just you know is shrank and shrank. Uh, so that's when they started hiring straight from CFI. 
um, because they figure, well, they have no turbine time experience. We will train them. We will pay for them to go through an ATP CTP. We'll put them in the Airbus. We'll give them all this simulator time. And they'd rather spend the money in the training, more money in the training, and have them be kind of stuck there because they're not going to go and, you know, go, oh, well, Americans hiring right now, right? Unfortunately, though, once you get that type rating and you get your couple thousand hours in type, why wouldn't the legacy carrier which you don't even you? need to do now because i be we had a guy that was brand new to the jet went to alaska was at alaska for six months and is now at delta just finished his ioe yeah at delta because that was his path that he took to get there yeah you you know what you just reminded me of remember when you and i went and interviewed at sky west i remember and and remember like we got the thank you but try again in six months and then and then you went back in six months and tried again. And you told me that one of the instructors, like, you're like, what, what's, what did I do wrong? Tell me, give me an exit interview. What did I do? And they're like, well, why don't you go work for one of these uh, other regionals that are hiring with no contract? And, and then after six months, apply again. And then at least you'll have experience. And it's kind of like they want people with experience because they don't want to put a, they don't want to bet on you and have you then disappoint them and having to pay for training for however many months before you wash out. They want to make sure you're going to make it through. Well, you know, it's kind of the same thing because that's what I was reminded when you just said that is is they want to see you with experience and that's what I think the legacy carriers are doing. They're going, well, uh, yeah, they went from CFI to Spirit. Well, hey, they seem to be doing okay over there. Okay, now we'll hire you. Yeah, because if you can pass a 121 mm-hmm. at, in a Boeing or an Airbus mm-hmm. at, at one company, you're going to get through it at another. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more the same, right? But so. then that, and then I don't know how long you know, the spirits of the world are going to be able to pay those kinds of bonuses, charging ticket prices the way that they are. But at some point, I'm not, if, if a ticket price is comparable on one of the ultra low cost carriers and on one of the legacy carriers, very few people are going to pick the ultra low cost carrier. Well, it's, I, it's, a, it's a different product, which is fine that, that there is that demographic that gets to fly. But when there, we have the, the shortage, yeah, things are going to start falling apart. And the funny thing is I was on a crew van the other day with a, with a passenger and, uh, you know, it was a, one of those big vans and there's a bunch of passengers and we're all getting a ride to the airport and the passenger's like, Oh, who are you guys fly for? Are you are pilots. And it's like, uh, well, we fly for a legacy. And they're like, Oh, I thought you were my pilots. I'm flying on spirit. I'm like, Oh, and then I went, sorry, not no offense, spirit pilots. It's not you. It's the company. <laughs> I don't have any problem with spirit pilots. I know some spirit pilots and, and, yeah, I don't have a problem with pilots. It's just I don't like the company model. That's all. So the Spirit guys, um, and they're like, well, you know, we ended up buying our tickets on Spirit, but I think after paying for everything, we, it would have been cheaper to just go on American or United or Delta. And I'm like, well, that's the whole model. You buy the ticket because it's a hundred dollars cheaper, but then you go check a bag, and there's another whatever it is, hundred bucks, and then you want a middle seat. You don't want that. You want an aisle seat and there's another $50 upgrade. And then, you know, you want a Coke and it's five bucks. And then, you know, what's next? Are they going to be like Ryanair? You want to use the bathroom, put a quarter in the slot? I mean, it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. But in the end, once you land and pay for everything, you ended up paying more than what if you just bought a ticket on, say, Southwest and your bags fly free and you get there and you get your snack and your soda and you don't have to pay for anything extra. It's just what you paid for from the very beginning is what you walked out with. So we have to educate the consumer in that regard. Um, and for most in that demographic, they don't care. It's, for them, it's just a way to get to point A to point B quickly and cheaply. And they'll suffer through and you know, possibly get in a fist fight 
in Atlanta in the middle of the night, like they did two nights ago. Uh, <laughs> passenger brawl, another. I love watching those on TikTok or whatever, whatever they're on. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just uh, hopefully the consumer will educate themselves and and learn that you know you're you're better off most of the time flying on a carrier that's well established that you know, you, you get what you pay for, and at the end you might even pay less. But those ticket prices, yeah, they need to go up. They they absolutely, you know, sure have a few cheap se- seats for each flight so you can have that opportunity. But every flight's full. Everyone, every flight, it's gonna get a lot worse this summer. Well, apparently, unless you're going Newark to Vegas, there's only fifty people on the plane. Yeah, well, <laughs> for yeah. Terry last and night. That, but see what Terry said though. That's normal because when you have a three hour edict. The, the, everyone that's at the airport to take that flight go oh well uh, three hour I, I'm going to miss my connection so they're, they're scrambling on their little keyboard you know trying to get the re- rebookings done and by the time the rebookings are done now only 50 people are left that are like no nah, just that's my final destination that's why I want to go and then they go oh by the way cancel that edict let's go earlier that's probably if I had to put money on it that's why they had only 50 people or whatnot is because of all the rebookings that happened because originally I bet you they had at least 100 100 something people on which is more realistic yeah, yeah. but anyway. I don't know what's gonna happen yeah it's- well well yeah, maybe in a, a year from now we'll revisit this topic on the podcast and we'll sit here and go we were totally wrong we got it wrong Roger. which will probably be the case yeah more than likely well, let's just wrap up the show today by saying thank you to Captain Roger, to Alex, to Terry, to Kyle for joining us today. Uh, I really did have a good time having this discussion with everyone. We went long again today. Go figure. Did you enjoy listening to our flight? Well, we hope you did. And if you did, please help us by paying it forward and sharing this podcast with your family and friends. Make sure to subscribe or follow the Squawk Eyed In podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback, so send that in. Send us an email. You can do so right there from our website at aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November, Yankee.com. All the people on the social medias, you can follow us on whatever social media you're following us on. Not all of them, but most of them. Uh, One final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there. Stay safe and take care of each other. Bye, y'all.
It's an entirely different kind of flying. 